0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt
3: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU
4: Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Holy cow. Holy cow. It's crazy the it's raining again in Texas yes
5: quite a bit more they'll probably get some places two more inches today they're, they're looking for tornadoes in the
3: area that is so amazing I mean last year a drought this year crazy rain flooding people dying just it's just there's the wild wild world of weather according
5: to the Texas climatologists. It's the wettest month on history, is it really for Texas, and they go back one hundred and two years of of recorded history amazing,
3: so well, amazing well um well, I'm sure we'll be getting into all of that news as well today we're going to be discussing finally the body cameras everybody i mean if every police officer has a body camera, we'll all be a lot safer allegedly I think if the cops get to wear body cameras, we ought to wear body cameras. well, we have our phones, <laughs> but don't you think we should have to wear them all day have them running then kind of we weird. could then we could go watch on facebook a day in the life of every other human there's
5: a tv show i need to have you watch what it's um what's it called black mirror it's from the bbc yeah it's uh it has an episode where they have a guy where basically everyone has some sort of a corneal implant that Ooh. records your day and he at the beginning of the show i'll tell you because you watch it like five minutes he gets fired from his job. Oh wow! And, and so he goes and sits, and he reviews the whole situation. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, that's where I did it wrong." Okay, okay.
3: That's where next time that I might be I an fix interesting. Thing. Yeah. So
5: he reviews his whole, day, and it just gets
3: worse throughout the day. That's <laughs> But then, like when you're dating, you'd be able to go back and watch the cues. Yes. We'd be able to go watch James on his wedding night, or, where he's like in line talking to everybody and offending. Family members and friends, and or when you now he'll know why they don't talk
5: to you. Him. Have a disagreement with your spouse, and yeah. they say the worst thing you could do in a disagreement is bring up the past. Yeah. Well, in this situation, you could bring up video clips so, of I'd, the past. Yeah, I'd like go, to wait a second,
3: and you show it on the a big video screen. from June first. Really doesn't <laughs> help. Two thousand, when you actually did say that I'm the greatest person on earth. I've never said that. No, you did. Uh, let's go back to the video. I have a clip. <laughs> I would just <laughs> Can get old. Turn to the clip, but it's interesting because we we think and we hear, you know, after Ferguson, after Baltimore, all these places, we think, okay, all we need are police cameras. But in the end, there's a lot of problems. So let's say you're sitting there, and a cop comes to just, you know, because somebody broke your window. Yes. And they walk in your house, and when they walk in, they're they're videotaping. And they, th- they find three other illegal things going on in your home. That might be your fault. And it's not even you. It's your son. That's your son's oh. weed. Right. And now all of a sudden <laughs> you're getting thrown down and tased.
5: Well, be careful who who you let
3: in your home. Today we'll be talking with Marina Lowe from the ACLU. Um, the ACLU has released a, basically a plug-and-play legislation kind of model that – legislators can use to put together some rules for all of these states that are putting together body camera legislation. Anyway, it's going to be an interesting discussion because there's a lot of stuff we may not be thinking about. For example, if a cop comes in and sits there and, uh, and goes through and has the video on and, and, and arrests somebody, should they be able to go back and watch the video before they fill out their reports? Or should they just need to go by memory like they have for the last 300 years hmm it's an important little thing because you might start noticing wow oh yeah that happened okay I'm going to charge him with that now I didn't even remember that and I'm going to charge him with this and then there's the marijuana from the neighbor's house Hmm. anyway we'll be talking to her a little bit later and uh, also later in the show a blind guy that rides a bike like how cool is that your son's learning to ride a bicycle well sort of ask him to close his eyes yeah no see how that goes We'll be getting into that as well. But first, let's get to some headlines. Anything going on in the news?
5: Rick Santorum. What? He uh, announced his presidential
3: bid Rick's in the game. Yep. Working families don't need another president
4: tied to big government or big money. And today is the day. Today is the day we are going to begin to fight back.
3: Today's the day.
4: I am proud to stand here among you and for you. The American workers who have sacrificed so much to announce that I am running for president of the United States.
5: Mm. So there you go. He's in. So, yeah, he talked about a bunch of stuff. You can imagine what he said. Cause no. A lot of these politicians, they say the same
3: thing. Yeah. But he's, he's a fiery little – he's a, just a pistol. Right. He's a firecracker.
5: Currently seven Republicans are officially running, six have exploratory committees, three others have planned events to presumably announce their candidacy. Two calling birds, three French hens, yes. And a partridge. <laughs> so the uh, I think I sent you a Wikipedia link last night that is a it will be updated. As to who's in, oh, who's thinking cool. about getting in, who has mentioned possibly yeah, thinking about it. This is great. How many have how many have thought about it, mentioned it, how many total? Seven are in. Yeah. Six have exploratory 13, committees. Okay. Three have planned events. Sixteen. And then there are four others who have mentioned it. Twenty. And then there's Donald Trump. Well, Trump's one of the seven. Is he one of the seven? Because he declared.
3: Has he already declared? No, I, he, no, I don't think no, he has yet. He
5: has the exploratory committee. That's right.
3: Yeah, he doesn't want to declare too early because that will ruin his right. other his TV show. <laughs> this is exciting.
5: So I'll, I'll, I'll try to
3: keep you updated daily. Rick Santorum's in the
5: game. Uh, the Pentagon accidentally shipped live anthrax out yeah. of uh, Dugway, Utah. Utah here. That's a big deal. And uh, it was supposed to be uh, a dead. Sample. Hey,
3: did you guys send the dead
5: sample or the live sample? <laughs> so that people could experiment. I'm pretty and sure it test. was the dead sample, Jimmy. Instead, they sent live samples to 18 locations in nine states and South Korea. Oh, geez. and they shipped it commercially. Oh, man. And those could have been all kinds of. Uh, FedEx. Problems. They FedExed them. They just
3: them. popped open. Now, what is amazing? What were the states? Do you remember? Did you list them? Uh, Virginia, Maryland. All over the country, yeah. Now, here's the, this is important because most of these states didn't have any idea, probably. No. I mean, most of the just regular folks right. in those states, they didn't know that their state even had dead anthrax in the state. Local
5: media here in Utah last year reported that Dugway the place where this yeah. anthrax came from had anthrax and they, they were assured that there was no Dugway's problems a military
3: base where they've been destroying nerve gas and all of the really horrible potent, you know, agent. There or, may have been an incident in the last 20 years where some sheep died,
5: but that wasn't yeah, a big deal. But they against. were downwind or sheep. Yeah, that was
1: fine.
3: But in the end, um, so, so, you know, that's a base anthrax. If, if it's if it exists, it's got to be somewhere in the United States. So Dugway's out in the it's middle really of the really isolated, it's a pretty nice yeah. place for it. But then they made a mistake and shipped it all over the world. <laughs> now, and the live anthrax. And you'd think that like when the box was sitting there, if it was alive, it, if it was live, it'd be like moving and scooting across the table. But I guess anthrax doesn't work that. Do you way. think on the box it just said fragile, handle with care? This fragile. Side up. <laughs> <laughs> anthraxia
5: officials say as many as 22 personnel were possibly exposed oh, to the anthrax really. at the airbase in south korea uh, none of the personnel have shown actual exposure symptoms but alarm was sounded once officials realized that the bacteria being used in the exercise might not have been a uh, training
3: sample oh my
5: heavens it was discovered wednesday that this had gone down so
3: now luckily it went to south korea that would have created World War III if it had made it to North Korea. I don't know if they'd say anything if it went to North
5: Korea. <sighs> Just kind of went, oh, shh. Don't you say know anything. what? It's a, it's
3: an interesting thing. One <laughs> little out. mistake when you're in charge of the anthrax and you, everybody's mad at you. Nebraska abolished
5: the death penalty yesterday. Really? They overrode the uh, Republican governor who the state house had pushed the uh, – they, they pushed it through. The governor said, I'm vetoing this. And then the house came back and overrode his veto. Wow! And so –
3: Nebraska is no death longer on the death table
5: penalty. in in uh, Nebraska. If you're going to commit a crime, go the, to Nebraska. The start of the El Nino in the uh, in the little the, child, yeah, down in what is it the Pacific Gulf of Mexico areas uh-huh. all through there is uh, causing the wet air to come up from the south, contributing to the massive rain over Texas. Uh, this is El Nino may be working to wreak havoc now in Texas and Oklahoma, but the climate cycle, which brings warmer than average temperatures from the Pacific Ocean, will likely suppress the hurricanes that typically hit the coastal areas in the southern and eastern parts of the country. Well, see, that explains it. It's just a little El Nino. So Texas might get the brunt of it now, but it might cut the uh, number of uh, hurricanes down by... Uh, the likelihood that 6 to 11 named storms will develop. So there's only a 70% chance that would happen, 6 to 11. So the, the chances know, have been reduced because the, of El Nino. Uh,
3: the authorities in Texas are saying, if you live anywhere near any of these rivers, go away. Yes, Get out of town.
5: And like, they, they said it's on a daily basis. Leave the rivers- Dodge. They, they, they crest, and then they go away, and the people are moving in, getting out. And yeah. Some people are choosing to stay. They're just tired of moving oh, around. Oh, it's tragic. Uh, of course, the FIFA. Huh? It, the uh, FIFA. FIFA? FIFA. They govern world soccer. Yeah. They arrested a bunch of people, 14 people yesterday. This is getting crazy. You came uh, in total of 100, one, well there's to tell so this much. story. I have a separate packet of FIFA information that I'll have, have to get through throughout file. the day. But my question yesterday is, why is the United States involved? And it's because it it comes down to the offices of CONCACAF, which CONCACAF, let me give you the, it's the North American, it's the Confederation of North and Central America and Caribbean Association Football. Okay, CONCACAF. They govern all of world soccer in Central and North America. And a lot of the corruption was coming out of their offices. Interesting.
3: So the Americans, and, and that's who legislates and gets the American Soccer team into the World Cup the World Cup. They, they organize and, and kind yeah. of run the bidding
5: pro- not the bidding but the games and all the process. So we way. were
3: noticing that there's a little cheating going on a little alleged uh, bribery and money laundering oh. or whatever.
5: And so because it was using US dollars and US banks mm-hmm. that was their in. And then they had some recording devices gotcha. put in meetings, and they're able to pull in all these other people in FIFA. And, but we're ticking Putin off, and Putin's angry about it. American, the Swiss are involved because they they've been wanting to make sure this corruption doesn't continue. The headquarters of FIFA is yeah. in Switzerland. Okay. they haven't been able to get anything on these people. With the U.S. help, they're able to build a case, and now how they're could able to how do could this.
3: they not get anything? I'm not sure. It's the Swiss. It's the Swiss. That's where all the money goes to hide anyway. It's they don't stupid. want to mess with this. Right. There's a banking Come issue, on. banking industry involved. Let's so they, not they're trying start to opening everything up. So we'll get to that as we continue cool. this morning. You're excited about that. Well, good news. Good news. Hey, uh, what do you think about body cameras? So let's say you get pulled over and the cop comes up and you try to do the same thing James does every time he gets pulled over. He just starts crying But what if the cop was actually filming your little escapade to try to get out of a speeding ticket? Should that be, you know, admissible in court? We're talking police body cameras up next. Marina Lowe from the ACLU will be joining us, and uh, we're just going to try to get into the real issue. What's going on? Where do the rights, you know, of information end and the rights of privacy begin? We'll be talking about it up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio welcome back friends to the matt townsend show did you know that the federal government plans to award nearly 20 million dollars in funding to dozens of departments Across the country, a third of them are small law enforcement agencies, all in an effort to uh, basically equip police officers with body cameras, and then they're going to take one million dollars of the twenty million and set it aside so that the Bureau of Justice Statistics can figure out what all these cameras are actually doing. Are we are we violating people's laws? Are they helpful? Are they improving? You know, the interactions between police officers and the citizens of the great United States, or are they making it worse? Well, you know, that seems great. Okay, throw, throw a lot of money at the problem, sure. Um, but in the end, it, it may, we may be getting ourselves into a little bit of a problem here. It, it, I think cameras are wonderful. I really do. I think it's going to help a lot. I think it's going to make not only the police officers behave better and the citizens probably behave better. But it's going to give us a lot of information about how we really are policing people. But it also will be giving us maybe too much information, uh, information that maybe the police don't even have a right to have a video of. Just walking in, for example, on an average everyday complaint, they may start seeing other things that were never part of the original problem. And that might start impacting people's rights. So we wanted to talk to somebody that had a clue about this. Who better do that than Marina Lowe from the ACLU? She is uh, in the ACLU of Utah and is also um, over the legislative and policy uh, at ACLU in Utah. Marina Lowe, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
3: Great to have you. And what do you think about I mean, the, the police body cameras, it's, I, everybody's all excited about it, but it's got to be in the world of the ACLU, it's got to be kind of a double-edged sword for you guys.
0: I think that's a great way to characterize it. You know, everybody's excited about body cameras. They're being touted as the answer to all of the concerns between civilians and police officers. But, you know, they come with some real additional questions that need to be sorted out if they're really going to be beneficial both to law enforcement and to civilians.
3: You guys at the ACLU, you actually put together um, kind of, I guess, a plug-and-play legislative—I don't know—I guess legislation that any state yeah. now can grab, look at, and and actually, if they want, one of the one of the legislators could put it into law and and basically use a lot of your guidelines, a lot of the research the ACLU has put together. Talk to us a little bit about what you're trying to do with that.
0: Yeah. So you know, this this model policy is the result of really years of trying to balance some of the rights, which you highlighted, that are at issue with body cameras, questions around privacy, um, questions around officer discretion to turn on cameras, um, and and try to come up with a balance that we think um, would create the best policy for implementing body cameras, not just in the state of Utah, but for any state that's considering this type of legislation.
3: Does it, I mean, because it seems like we ought to just leave it on. Like, it's, I don't know. I don't know how the cameras work in a police car, but right. I'm assuming they just turn them on when they get in the car. And well,
0: what happens with dash cams is that they're they're automatically triggered when police lights go okay. on. Okay, okay. So you're right. It does take away any sort of discretion. When we're working with body cameras, it's kind of a different it's story. different because the
3: guy's got to go to the restroom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right exactly and and you know there is some technology that's developing that eventually you know when an officer draws his weapon the camera might automatically mm. be activated but that's not always the situation an officer that's will right. be presented with
3: so so talk um, about talk about some of the contingencies some of the problems i mean th- yeah. there's a lot of just little nuances to to having a, a camera on an officer that could get really sticky
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I think you have focused in on and that's very important is sort of when should a camera be activated. And it's our position that any time an officer who is, you know, conducting searches and seizures or capable of making arrests is called on official, you know, an official um, call where he's going to be interacting with, um, he or she is going to be interacting with somebody um, from the public, they should turn that camera on that should be the general rule right. so that there isn't any discretion about when an officer turns it on or there won't we won't get into the situation where things start to look bad and an officer decides not to turn the yeah.
3: camera on. Yeah. I mean and that, and th- that right there th- this is all going to go down the drain the minute there's another sh- officer related shooting right. and the officer didn't turn his camera on.
0: Right. Now, on the flip side, one of the things that we are also promoting in this legislation that's been a little bit you know sticky in terms of negotiating with law enforcement is that there needs to be some consequence if a camera is not actually activated when right. it should have been activated or if the footage is altered with or somehow yeah. edited after the fact
3: see that that is a I know that's a big part of uh, your policy model that you're proposing is the officers shouldn't be able to use the video to fill out their reports. They should right. they should basically have to fill out the report and not use the video because that's the way they've been doing it for 300 years.
0: Right. Right. And and importantly, you know, they can't go back and You know, if they all of a sudden remember that maybe they did something that wasn't so great in a video, they can't go back and erase that segment of film. Uh That that wouldn't be appropriate. And if they do that, then there should be some sort of consequence for the individual who is looking at criminal charges, for example. Um,
3: So I guess that's that's the balance of this, isn't it? Because the cop will still have everything recorded, will still fill out their reports as normal, then turn them over, I guess, to prosecutors that would then have to look at the report and the video. That's right. And then the prosecutor will decide if the police's the police activity actually nullifies the the charges at all. Yeah,
0: that will certainly or supports it.
3: Hmm. I mean, yeah. that that's something you just don't think about. You don't think that that would be a really bad idea. But you can also see in these kind of lower income neighborhoods, communities of color, where there's been a, a lot of problems lately. Um, the body camera use is is it's going to be a big big deal.
0: Yeah. Well, without these sort of safeguards and protections, I think the the concern by the public is that this is going to be simply one more tool for law enforcement to use to surveil upon certain communities <clears throat> and to use at their discretion, Yeah. which is to say to use when it might be beneficial for law enforcement. But, um, you know, when something looks like it's heading south and there may be may, might be an officer involved shooting oh, I'll just turn my camera off or, you know, oh, the camera malfunctioned. And, and if it's perceived in that way, then I think cameras really are going to be difficult to sell to the public at large.
3: That's right. I mean, I mean just they, they, uh, an officer goes to a home to just do a normal investigation about a broken window. But while they're there, they find other drug paraphernalia, other stuff. They could then go back and then get a warrant and then come back based on their first experience, right? And just now they've got you and evidence.
0: That, that's true. And and that, that could arise even without a body camera. So okay. if an officer goes in and they happen to notice something, um, you know, sitting on a shelf, that, that would give them sufficient ability to go back and get a warrant if need be in the future. The, the difference, though, I think is, is you know, we're talking about having cameras in people's private residences. Mm-hmm. Um, And so our bill does address that as well, that there probably should be a different standard within someone's home where there is a reasonable expectation of privacy, as opposed to um, a situation that just takes place out on the street. And in those private instances, when it's a non-emergency sort of situation, officers should give the the occupants of the home, the residents of the home, the ability to say, I don't want that camera on in my home.
3: Interesting. Yeah, in, in, in an innocent type of situation, right?
0: Right. And part of the reason for that also is that we, we don't want to actually discourage people from calling the police. Mm-hmm. Um, right. you know, victims of crime, for example, or others who are calling to report crime, if they're worried about somebody coming into their home, filming um, whatever takes place, not just because they're worried about what the police may do with that, that footage later, but also because... The other piece we haven't even touched upon is what happens to these records? Do they right. become public records that the, that the news media has been able to get a hold of? And so, you know, there's a dispute between a husband and a wife. The police come in and film, and the next thing you know, it's on the evening news.
3: That's right. Can they be used in civil cases? Can they be used? I mean, I, I was an EMT on an ambulance, and police are responding to medical emergencies all of the time. Right. And then if there's a lawsuit on the medical emergency, would a police video camera be able to be used as evidence in that case, in a civil case.
0: Right. I, I think as you as you picked up on, sometimes these cameras and these technologies raise more questions than they do provide answers. That's
3: so true. And sometimes it's better that we just don't know how many mistakes are being made everywhere. Right. Um, but yet we want to improve. So let's do this, Marina. We're talking with Marina Lowe from the ACLU here in uh, Utah. She's helping us understand the complexity of this police body camera issue. And here's the ultimate irony for me. We start with police body cameras, but all we've heard about in the news for the last few months is NSA is eavesdropping in on all of your conversations anyway. I mean, to some degree, these are very parallel issues, and the minute you kind of open the bag, uh, a lot of stuff's going to come out that we may not understand. We're going to keep kind of sorting through the issues of police body cameras, again with Marina Lowe. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. You know, after almost a year of nationwide protesting towards police officers and their uh, maybe excessive use of lethal force, the idea of police body cameras have become a subject highly publicized as right now the greatest solution, right, to uh, to stop uh, some of this abuse. But uh, we need to think this through, folks. How these cameras are going to work? The 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 rights. Of everybody that uh, will come across a police officer using and wearing one of these cameras, you need to pay attention to it. So we've asked our our wonderful guest, our friend Marina Lowe, from the ACLU of Utah, she's over a legislative and policy council at the ACLU of Utah. She also uh, grew up in Northern California and graduated from the University of California Hastings College of Law and spent also two years working at uh, Hewlett-Packard, of all places. Marina, welcome back to the show, Marina Lowe.
0: Thanks again for having me.
3: HP, that's a cool little background, a lawyer and a little HP work.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, it was HP in France, so it was... Uh... Oh, even better. And,
3: yeah, exactly, and even more exciting. How great opportunity. is that? Now you're married. You have two uh, adorable daughters, and there's going to be a day. One of those girls, she's going to get pulled over. The <laughs> cop's going to have his little camera on her. She's going to do the little breakdown and crying, and <laughs> get out of the not. ticket. I know. But so, so, what are the rules? If a cop, uh, I mean, what would you propose if, with the ACLU? And what are you? What is the ACLU proposing should be done with all of this video data? Yeah. Of just somebody getting pulled over, or or you know basic you know situations, and what should happen if the, if a felony has been committed?
0: Yeah, so it's our contention that the vast majority of this data of this footage is of very little value. Um, it's not necessarily of any value to law enforcement, and it certainly isn't of any any value to the public or to the news media. Um, and so we think that most of the data should be destroyed after a certain period of time. I think six months is sort of the the, the time that police reports are usually kept for, and so we would say that, that a similar time frame would make sense for video footage. Now, you know, our legislative proposal does indicate that certain, foot, certain types of footage should be flagged to be kept for longer periods of time. And so, as you mentioned, when a felony situation arises or an officer-involved shooting, for example, those are situations that should be flagged and should be kept for a longer period of time because they may have some um, evidentiary purpose for which they'll be mm. used down the road in, in a legal proceeding.
3: See that that makes that makes a lot of sense. And then, if it's flagged, we can use it later. I mean, I guess then it would just be passed into evidence. It just becomes evidence, and that would be up to the discretion of the prosecutor, I guess.
0: Right, right, and and so then the question, of course, though, becomes: How do you flag, and who has the ability to flag? Sure. And and so we've set forth a. A system for how different types of um, videos should be flagged. You know, the officer involved should have the ability to flag a supervising officer. And then the subject of a recording. So an individual who is being filmed by one of these cop cameras should have the ability to um, contact the police agency and say, I would like to have that footage flagged because it may be of use for me.
3: Hmm. What about, I mean, this gets crazy because this is my warped mind. But uh, YouTube... All of a sudden, we're going to be seeing a million videos on YouTube of cop videos. Just yeah. stupid people tricks and just dumb things that cut, that people did that, that were caught by the police. I mean, at, yeah. this this has got to be one of your biggest concerns at the ACLU is the kind of the on-mass release of these videos.
0: That's right. That have essentially no public value other than yeah. entertainment purposes. Um, and so that's the reason that we think the vast majority of this footage shouldn't be flagged. You know, the, the casual interactions between a cop and an individual or, you know, some guy is walking home drunk and the police stop him and he says something ridiculous on camera. That, that, that there's no purpose right. in having that out there. Um, and so we would say that those all would, should fall into this category of unflagged footage that should be destroyed.
3: Hmm. What about a, a, a major tragedy, a major accident, the first responder police department that pulls up on a train crash? Right. I mean, think of what CNN would love to do with that footage and get that footage. And then is it not, is there not some right to that data, to that information?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you've hit on the other real major tension point when we're talking about this this type of um, policy. So, so there's these concerns between law enforcement and civilians around discretion to film. And then on the flip side, there's an interesting tension here between uh, the news media and their desire to have all of this footage be made public, or, or certainly more of this footage be made public, and concerns on the part of organizations like ours that feel that there's a real difference between a police report and an actual live recording. Hmm. Um, you know, a picture says. Speaks a thousand words is is the saying that we all um, know, but I think it's really true. Seeing something and hearing and seeing the emotion on somebody's face in the event of an accident, as you bring up, is very different than reading about an accident report. Um, And so I think this is one of these areas that we're going to have to really struggle with as as not just our state thinks about body cameras, but our whole nation. um, And what is the appropriate line there? And and I guess we would just we would just um, take the position that some of these things that might happen in the open air, where there is not necessarily a reasonable expectation of privacy, people still don't expect that there's going to be a camera recording every part of that interaction.
3: Right. Yeah, they just don't expect to have to, you know, look good, have their... Their hair done nice and, and just not yeah. be able to be real. I mean, where, where this I know is also a major issue is in um, domestic violence and, yeah. and uh, you know, rape uh, interviews. I mean, the, by the way, felonies, they're going to need to be tagged. And yet those are so private, so personal that they really the right the public's right to see and to know needs to be limited.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know of an EMT like yourself who uh, told me he was called on the scene for an accident situation. It wasn't criminal or anything like that. And the cops were there as well with body cameras. And he said he spent the entire time sort of positioning his own body between the officers and this victim who was a child Uh, because he didn't feel it was appropriate to have the cameras be rolling while this, this child was lying there injured. Um, so, you know, that creates some some concerns within agencies, too, about, uh, you know, a sort of ability to do do your job as an EMT and provide these sort of um, first responder sort of services when you're also part of your mind is having to worry about, you know, how can I protect this individual from being filmed?
3: Th- that is the reality of a camera. And we see this in the media. The minute a camera shows up, things change. Yep. And and they usually I mean change in a way for good especially I'm assuming a police uh, camera on on the on the police officer it's not only good for the officer to know that you know people are watching or can be watching um I guess it's also good for the public to also yeah. see that this is being recorded
0: And and you know the studies that have been done so far do indicate that body cameras can help with the right policies in place Yeah that they can help in terms of reducing, you know, officer misconduct. They can reduce in um, civilians filing complaints. And I've talked to defense attorneys who say, you know, look, if I can show my client footage showing that they were in the wrong, sometimes it, you know, speeds things along.
3: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Does this change Miranda rights at all? Um, because you're now, before rights have ever been given, you're already accumulating information that they're saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it's, a good point. It's a really
3: well, – so it's almost like – and does – would you sense a police officer would need to, to tell the person that they're
0: recording them? So, so on that point, I think, yes, absolutely. That's one of the things that our policy does require is that law enforcement officers tell somebody that they're being recorded. And that's primarily so that uh, if that individual down the road wants to flag that footage hmm. – Um, as being a a video of interest, how would they know if they haven't been told that they're being recorded? Now, increasingly, some of these cameras, it's very obvious when they've been activated. You can see a light that goes on. But, you know, as this technology is still sort of new, a lot of people are not going to know that that a camera is on.
3: But see, then all of a sudden it's like, freeze, police, you must know I'm recording you. Stop running. (laughs) And then it's like another iteration of... It's just To me, it just seems like another line—it should be a line of defense, and yet it's just now another line of policy
0: yeah. that needs well, to be and,
3: incorporated.
0: And, and certainly in sort of urgent or emergency <laughs> circumstances, there's not going to be an opportunity to right. do that, and, and that's that's okay as well.
3: But when we pull someone over for a DUI and we're doing a DUI test or whatever they call those tests in front, they put them to the front of the car, they use the video cameras, I think they probably even advise them that they're, we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um and they that's then admissible in court. The whole test is now on camera. I guess it's right. just more following that protocol.
0: That's right. So instead of just a traditional police report now you additionally have footage. Video hmm. footage.
3: I mean, is this so overall is, I guess is this is this a healthy advancement? I, I mean, it seems <laughs> like we're going to be getting I mean, it seems like overall it's going to be a good thing. But then yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a all sticky technology. wicket. Right,
0: You know, it brings good and bad. And I think the the important point for us is let's get the policies right or as right as we can at this stage. And they may need some tinkering as we move forward. But with the right policies, we think that this can be a tool that's both both useful for law enforcement and for the public at large.
3: That's great. Do you see, is it working in other states? Uh, What states do you see are kind of on the cutting edge of this? Who's really got a handle on it?
0: You know, I mean, everybody's sort of grappling with this at the same time, truthfully. Um, we actually, uh, there was introdu- uh, legislation introduced here in Utah last year. It didn't get any traction, um, and instead will be sort of discussed in this uh, upcoming legislative session, I believe. But other states are doing the same thing, are introducing bills, having conversations between law enforcement, between community groups. So I think everyone's trying to deal with this at the same time.
3: It's great. It really is. It's something we just have to figure out, right? And we... We probably won't get it perfect, but I guess that's one of the goals that you have with the ACLU is let's at least put our best thinking on it and, yes. and help. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we won't be perfect, so we'll adjust, we'll change it, and yet we, we can do better. Um, when, you, when you look at this, uh, there was just another story that came out recently that, um, I don't even remember where I heard it, was whenever a police officer pulls their, draws their weapon, that they need to file a report. Hmm. Have you heard that?
0: Uh, I haven't, no. Like an additional report? Yeah, an
3: additional not. report. So it's basically if your weapon comes out of the holster, Interesting. we need that stated and dated. And
0: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, I think all of these different efforts are ways to get at some of the concerns that we're seeing between law enforcement, sort of this breakdown of trust between people and and law enforcement, which is really a nationwide problem. It's, It's happening here in Utah, and it's happening in other parts of the country as well. And, you know, I think often we're quick to hope that body cameras or filing an additional report will be the answer. And I think they may be helpful, but they're not the answer. And we need to dig deeper and figure out better ways to increase this trust. Yeah between uh, these two constituencies, you know, to institute policies that are more uh, community policing oriented to um, ultimately help law enforcement in being able to uphold and and protect communities by making sure that they enjoy the trust of the communities that they serve. So um, it's a much larger problem that's going to require some pretty extensive and, and, and difficult thinking in order to get to the bottom of it.
3: Well, Marina Lowe, we're grateful uh, you guys are on it. At least, at least somebody's thinking about it. Hey, and while you're at it now, uh, I mean, it's probably not in your, your purview, but why don't you go work on shipping of anthrax and see if you can figure out how we can do that a little bit better.
0: <laughs> Sounds good.
3: <laughs> I don't want to create problems for you. Uh, Marina Lowe from the ACLU uh, here in Utah and uh, – just just great stuff, folks. It's a complicated thing. Isn't it interesting? We just throw a solution at, at all of our problems, and yet with every solution, there's five incredible, beautiful opportunities and some seriously messed up problems that can come from just one little idea. Marina Lowe, we appreciate you. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, continue discussing some of the other headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, we've decided on the program that we will now start wearing body cameras. Uh, you were out of the room, Terry. What? Yeah, James and I have decided... We, from... we
5: talked before about using, like, Periscope on our phones.
3: No, no. From here on out, everybody has to wear a body camera. Okay. And there's certain rules. you got to turn it off before you use a restroom. You've got to... We don't necessarily need to have it during nap time. Okay. Uh, nobody should wear their camera into my office. Really? In yeah. your office is a no-go zone. The minute you turn to my door, camera's off. Okay. What about my cubicle? You, Everybody can have the camera in your cubicle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben has to wear three cameras. Three cameras on Ben. Because he's the new guy. We don't quite trust Ben yet. You know? Not to be rude, <laughs> but when you don't trust him, put another camera on him. That's how it works, right, Jimmy? Yep. <laughs> Jimmy's been very quiet today.
4: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't have any cameras because everyone trusts me. Mm-hmm. So
3: he's just—he's afraid. He's very afraid. Uh, any other news headlines? More, more on the FIFA. Oh boy, here we go. Indictments. He is um, loving the FIFA.
5: I haven't been this excited since that that biker brawl in Waco oh. <laughs> a week ago. <laughs> the stories are very similar. It's my story of the week. Okay, what's the There's latest? so much information. Though FIFA is a global operation, the U.S. changed the official uh, cha- or charged the officials and executives with violating U.S. banking laws. That was my big question: is why is the U.S. involved? You keep asking that. They're head, why? They're headquartered in Switzerland. Why? Are, why are we involved? This is strange. Why years. not? Sure. We we get involved in everything now, but, I mean, specifically banking <laughs> We're laws. into every war. All we're of, everywhere. All of these defendants abused U.S. financial systems and violated U.S. laws, and we intend to hold them accountable, U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said. By the way, this is Loretta Lynch's first, you know, big— This is her first big case. Big case. That she's brought to, uh, brought to I guess, acquittal. Not acquittal, but— uh, um, Mm-hmm. Indictment. Indictments. There we go. Which word am I looking for? Bribes were often funneled through the U.S. banking system. According to Lynch and other U.S. officials, one of the most corrupt parts of FIFA is this Confederation of North Central America and Caribbean Association football. Otherwise, and I'm going to continue to call it CONCACAF, which is kind of fun to say. What is it? CONCACAF. So division of FIFA that encompassed the U.S. and headquartered Miami. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying tournaments were allegedly marred by bribes, as was the CONCACAF Champions League. Don't use the word as much as you're using it. CONCACAF. By the way, have you guys ever tried CONCADECAF? CONCADECAF is kind of the Division Two. It's of twice conca the calf. flavor, half
3: the caffeine.
4: No, I always have my CONCACAF.
5: Ah, oh,
3: I love my CONCACAF.
5: Now look up the name Chuck Blazer. Okay. He's a former Secretary General of CONCACAF mm-hmm. and a high up in FIFA. He is alleged to have collected untold millions during his 20-year reign, running up a staggering $29 million in credit card charges to help fuel his extravagant lifestyle, according to the What's New York his Daily name? News. Chuck Blazer. I wasn't even close. I put Jeff Webb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's insane. not even close blazer failed to pay all of his taxes for a decade oh while, there he is. while taking in tens of billions of dollars and flipped on fifa informing for the fbi to avoid charges he's got a he he had a, a, a uh what are they called a parrot on his shoulder he did like a little
3: yeah he had a parrot
5: he has a, a big santa claus type beard he's uh, said in the article I read in the New York Daily News to be over 400 pounds. He has yeah. cancer at the moment. Dang. So he's uh, so he's the one they're after. He's the one that
3: they, they got to flip because of all his tax yeah. issues. So he's got all the inside scoop, and he's going to start probably bringing down the nat- the international FIFA dudes.
5: That's how they made all their... Indictments yesterday is all wow. the information he gathered. He carried a key fob that doubled as a audio recorder into meetings to allow the FBI to build their case. From 1986 to 2011, Blazer took in more than $15 million in commission on revenue from sponsorship and TV rights. One place I read is somewhere around 10% of every deal they made sponsorship-wise, he got 10% of it. Holy cow. That's how the d- contracts were made. He got 10% cut off the top of everything. They're making money. The uh, The other side of it is this uh, FIFA president, Step Blatter, who's up for re-election on Friday, and many uh, different organizations are calling for that election to be called off. Yeah. Others are saying, you know, push forward. There's no uh, in, uh, evidence that he's involved, but um, how can 14 people involved with FIFA not be involved in bribery, but the president somehow is oblivious to all this going on. He's like,
3: what? You guys are taking money?
5: I heard a Washington Post reporter who did kind of a profile piece on him, and it says that he has been called, this is the current FIFA president, Step Bladder, he's been called the dark prince of football, <laughs> the godfather Don Blatterone. his name's Bladder, <laughs> by one Swiss paper. Bladder. Uh, he is also a Teflon. They call him a Teflon coated executive. He is smug, self-righteous, wow. Zur- Zurich gnome, because I guess he's kind of short also. Oh, that, that was in the Daily Mail. That's the Guardian says he's the most successful non-homicidal dictator of the past century. <laughs> Holy cow, the press are after him. One member of the British Parliament told the BBC, nothing ever sticks to him. There is always someone between him and the bribes. He's the Teflon Bladder. Despite the latest scandal, Bladder shouldn't be expected to go anywhere willingly. After all, this man—this is a man who hurt himself compared to Jesus Christ, Nelson Mandela, and Martin Luther King Jr. by a Dominican Republic representative at CONCACAF Congress last month.
3: Jeez. and he didn't like stop the you guy know, and goes no
5: no no that's not me no, he just said thank you
3: no thank you i appreciate the comparison <laughs> what is crazy i was just barely starting to love soccer and yeah. world cup and it's it's surprising now it's- i'm finding out we've got a teflon bladder we've got <laughs> what was his name i can't still can't remember his name chuck i just blazer chuck blazer it's a cool name 15 million in bribes. Vladimir Putin, Russian
5: president, accused the United States of meddling with FIFA affairs, hinted that. It was part of an attempt to take the 2018 World Cup away from his country. Putin said in a TV comments th- or TV comments Thursday that he found it odd that the probe was launched at the request of U.S. officials for crimes which do not involve its citizens and do not happen in the United States. Don't look at the
3: crimes if he they're not happening in the He doesn't know US. about
5: all this CONCACAF and yeah. Chuck Blazer stuff. But Putin said that even if someone has done something wrong, Russia has nothing to do with it. He then tried to portray the probe as a U.S. attempt to go after dissenters, likening the case to persecution whistleblower whistleblowers Julian Assange oh, and Edward Snowden wow this is getting big no wonder you're so giddy oh there's just so much information I just love the fact that it says that he is the most successful non homicidal dictator of the past century he runs soccer
3: yeah he's the soccer he's the leader of FIFA soccer he's not but they're saying he's he- not in Putin's parliament. Some some have said he's the most pow-
5: uh, this uh, what's his name is uh, Stepbladder, President of FIFA. Just mm-hmm. missed his name there. I thought I was going to call him Chuck, but his yeah. name's not Chuck. Stepladder, Step. the most powerful person in sports in the world. With his influence.
4: The thing I thought was interesting too is a lot of news agencies are saying that that US soccer officials weren't surprised of the allegations of the corruption. They were surprised that the authorities were
3: doing anything about it. Yes. Like what? We're starting to do something. Well, that's the same thing that happened with the Olympic scandal. Nobody that had been going on for years, and finally somebody's doing something. They're like, about it. "Oh, wait, okay, this is cool. interesting." And I lawsuits. Think, I think right. for the listeners, it's really important because we've 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 picked up new words like Concacaf, right? FIFA bladder, Chuck Blazer, Teflon bladder. Well, we know that there's a Concacaf con now. Yeah, Concacaf con and Concacanca Decaf con. Good stuff interesting interesting we'll take a break my friends come back top of the hour more news headlines you're listening to the matt townsend show right here on byu radio
6: come on XM 143
3: we need to say what we mean And we need to mean what we say. So don't be saying something if you don't mean it. I know everything. Just give me a minute. Give me a minute. Let me access Google. The Matt Townsend Show. One of the best ways, I think, to get out of the funk is first got to recognize you're in the funk. I'm going to cheer for your victories. I'm going to celebrate your accomplishments. Your guide on the side. We're talking L-O-V-E, love, L-O-V-E, and how to love, love, so you can love your love with more love. Helping you build your good life.
4: The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
3: Do over. Do over. Now. Now, here is Dr. Matt Townsend. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we bring you the ideas, the tools you need to live longer and love stronger and uh, lead a healthier, happier life. Good morning and welcome to the program. Man, we got a great guest coming up. Uh, What have I told you? They call him Batman, by the way. Should be more daredevil. He doesn't. He doesn't. He is kind of a daredevil. No, uh, the character Daredevil. Oh, the character da- yeah. Daredevil. But he's a, he's a blind man, blind since he was about 13 months old, rides a bike. Like, doesn't just, like, ride a bike in the desert all by himself. He rides a bike with a bunch of other bikers around him. Is bikers the proper term? Bicyclists. Bicyclists. Around bikers. Him. Recent. Yeah, that's all of a sudden news. I'm thinking someone's going to get shot. Yeah. But uh, Daniel Kish will be joining us uh, in a few minutes, about 15 minutes from now. But he's here to help us uh, recognize he's he's overcoming his own obstacle of blindness, his darkness, he calls it. And yet uh, he's using the exact same tools that every one of the rest of us have. It's called a brain. And he's just going to challenge us all to don't think he's that great. He's just overcoming his obstacle using his brain. We're all doing or have the ability to do the exact same thing. We'll be talking to him a little bit later, motivating nonetheless, and... uh Anyway, also, I think, just seriously inspiring. It it brings the spirit in when we hear of a, a guy like Daniel Kish. We'll talk about him. Also, uh, more updates and headlines. I'm sure we'll get to more than just FIFA today, or is it FIFA? F- FIFA. Uh, what about CONCACAF? ladonk What's it called? CONCACAF. calf Conca calf and FIFA. We'll be getting to that, I'm sure, because Terry's new addiction I, I, is— I think
5: we're good. Are you good? I think we've covered it. There's corruption, and they're investigating, and there's been indictments, and we'll see what goes on from Yada, now. yada, yep. CONCACAF.
3: <laughs> so um, talk to me about uh, Carly Fiorina. That young lady... What about her? She is She's brilliant. Really? Some don't know. She's a GOP candidate for president. But Hillary Clinton was in Florida, I believe... At some presser, and you know Hillary doesn't answer many questions. So who shows up across the street? Oh, that's right. Carly Fiorina shows up and basically steals all of Hillary's press. They just have to run across the street and she does nothing but answer questions the entire time and does nothing but a beat down on Hillary. which honestly, everyone else is beating each other up in the Republican Party right now. but Carly's like, forget you you all, I'm gonna just go take on Hillary. Yeah. It's pretty cool.
5: She sees that that she's a woman so she can do this whereas yeah. the men may have some sort of <laughs> they're afraid. They're afraid and then it might look bad in the press if they're attacking a woman.
3: She's honestly so. I think it's I think it was a brilliant political move. And whether you like Carly's, you know, ch- chances or not, she's taking on Hillary Clinton and it's not a bad idea right now cuz Hillary seems a little she seems like she's stuck. Stuck on the ropes a little bit.
5: <laughs> but as you said before, she doesn't really have competition.
3: No. So, well, she's the only one that showed up across the street. Well, right. But why, I, why all do, I would do is I'd get my own little Scooby-Doo van, and I'd just follow her Scooby-Doo van.
5: The more she talks, the more she's going to bring up more issues for herself. Who, Carly or... Hillary. Hillary, sorry, right. Exactly. And so,
3: if Hillary just
5: doesn't say a lot right. but does things, then she can look presidential without having to a- answer questions over and over. But again. let's just
3: say Carly Fiorina shows up right across the street again today, and then she does it again tomorrow. It's brilliant. All I would do, yeah. I would just follow Hillary. So when Hillary goes and buys a ticket at Delta Airlines to wherever, Saskatchewan, <laughs> Carly should say, "I'm where's she going." Well, I'll, I'll how many it, times can you do her.
5: that before it starts looking a certain way? No, I don't think it matters. You think she can do it indefinitely? I, I think it's the cheapest, well, I mean, easiest see, way to get...
3: She's getting fear, all the press. is not going to win no. a presidential election, Well, but you, at least at this point. At this point, but you follow Hillary and get all of that press for the next three months and be the only she'll other force, female in there.
5: She'll force Hillary to answer questions.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting. This is like when two moms... At the at the uh, you know the bake sale, mm. they're having competing baked goods, and it's just going to be a beatdown, right? And then somebody's going to walk away with a bloody nose. <laughs> it's exciting. It's cool. In other news, things to watch. Yeah, the Patriot
5: Act that yes. allows the NSA to spy on all of us. Times are ticking, and uh, fill all the computer servers in what Bluffdale. Mm -hmm. Is that where the big computer farm
3: is in Utah, in Bluffdale, Utah? By the way, about that, yeah, the big NSA site is here in Utah, which is, and it's probably, I don't know, let's just say 20 miles from Dugway where they sent out the the anthrax anthrax (laughs) accidentally. So the Patriot Act (laughs) expires on
5: Sunday. The White House likened a potential lapse in National Security agency surveillance powers to a game of Russian roulette with Mm. national security, a senior administrative official uh, says there is not an authority that you, there's not an authority that you would allow to, uh, a wiretap for each new phone. There is not a fail-safe. The official added, "You're playing national security Russian roulette, and we urge Congress not to play that game with these un, uh, controversial authorities." Our, uh, the White House is currently campaigning for a renewal of the Patriot Act,
3: which expires midnight
5: Sunday. Well, it's so, a big
3: deal because once these once these uh, rules expire. There's no more collection of data unless you get another agreement. Theoretically, yes. Right? I mean it shuts down because all of a sudden all of the the carriers are told legally quit doing it. Theoretically, yes. So so there has to be some other legislation at least put in place to extend this or potentially Sunday shut down. In a report
5: released last week by the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation admits that the mass surveillance capabilities authorized by Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which is the
3: section that allows them to tap all the phones. By the way, your favorite section, Jimmy, was 213. Love 213. Oh, that guy. So good. Talks so, about 213. This, this Section yeah.
5: 215 have not helped solve any big terrorism cases. Okay. The agents we interviewed did not identify any major case developments that resulted from the use of records obtained in response to the mass collection of, of data, says the DOG Inspector General. The report also wow. reveals that the FBI expanded the scope of the surveillance it deemed acceptable. Uh, groups compromised of uh, comprised of unknown members and obtaining info- information on in bulk concerning persons who are not the subjects of or associated with any FBI investigation. So, in other words, everybody they just collected.
3: Let me say this about didn't that: solve any problems because I, I totally I buy that 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 there wasn't one phone call that was received that was the major tip that closed the deal. But here's the deal. Let's say you know that there's two terrorists, let's say, or supposed terrorists in Texas that are going to go bomb and blow up and shoot up the Muhammad uh, caricature... Art contest. Art contest. Yes. You, you don't necessarily need to have a, 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 a phone call that shows that they were going to do something. But being able to listen to 60 phone calls... That might also create exclusive exclusionary criteria, which would say what we know they're not doing because he's going to a party tonight and tomorrow he's doing this and the next day he's doing this. It may not actually crack the case, but it also might give other information that does make him more predictable, more understandable. So. The reality is, is one millionth of 1% of all the data they're collecting is valuable. And so when they're saying this is Russian roulette is, are you willing to give it all up to not collect what we don't know we need? Does that make sense?
5: It does. You're for the invasion of privacy is what you're saying. Exactly.
3: Okay. And the more the merrier. (laughs) No, I'm for the fact that if we think that we're going to get one call, that's that's all. One call, that's all. If we think that's what it's going to be, it's not. But sometimes – Having some calls lead to other things, which lead to other things, which lead to other things. So it's one-tenth of the solution. It's not the one call that led to the solution. It's one-tenth of a solution, and it also excluded 500 other things. Does that make sense? It does. Plus, I think it's just fantastic that we're employing people near me (laughs) to capture all the data in the world. Also, the uh, Maryland couple— the uh, free-range
5: parents yes. let their kids walk home that yeah. day, and then the neighbors called the police on the kids or something. Mm-hmm. And they were, yeah, They have been uh, cleared of child neglect charges in one of the two cases against them. This afternoon, they let their kids walk home from a local park. Uh, the, uh, the Child Protective Services had ruled that the, pair d- uh, the parents did not neglect their children, who were 10 and 6, when they allowed them to walk home by themselves last December. So the court's deeming that it's not neglect to let your child walk home yes, from a park. Absolutely. Good. And, that's, and there's still another case pending,
3: Yeah, but one of the two they've been cleared. So. Is it abuse to sit on top of your child and hold their arms down while you tickle them? Or feed them medicine, like or feed them I, medicine? I've had to do a couple or times. Or tap them on the chest in an annoying, really frustrating manner. Could be. Depends on who's watching you and if they have a cell phone. Just don't do it at the park. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be tased. Uh, interesting. Interesting headlines. Uh, we've, we've got a, a great guest coming up. Daniel Kish is going to be joining us. He really is. Um, he's, he's a blind man that can see. And he uses echolocation to uh, basically send out signals, sonar, and be able to pick up his environment. And it's so uh, that's that's phenomenal, I think, just in and of itself. But what I think we're going to find out uh, from Daniel Kish is so much more that he's he's a blind guy, but he's also he's learned to not be full of fear. And one of the things I think he's going to teach us is blindness is one person's, you know, tragedy or trial through darkness. But everybody on this earth is struggling with some darkness. And he's going to give us some insight into how we could just use our brains to make it through our own dark places. Daniel Kish will be joining us. Uh, Really, truly um, inspiring, but also just educational. This is going to be a great segment. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, our guest uh, right now has been nicknamed Batman. While he doesn't spend his nights crusading and defending his hometown, he is in combat with fear, with stereotypes, and with others telling him what his limits are. He has been winning this uh, battle for years now. He is teaching others to do the same. Daniel Kish has been blind since he was 13 months old. But that hasn't stopped him from seeing, and as a popular TED speaker and founder of World Access for the Blind, Daniel spends his days teaching others to see using echolocation. But perhaps his most important work is teaching both the blind and the seeing to live without fear or inhibitions. He joins us now live. Mr. Kish, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Honored to have you on the show. I loved your TED Talk, and I love your lessons. Um, uh, it, it, you you talk a lot about darkness, and but and you, you sit there and you say you know bl- obviously as a blind person you are trying to overcome your darkness and and see through the darkness, but you you don't you think darkness is a problem that we're all facing?
7: Well, I think that uh, darkness, fear of the dark, is man's most primal fear, but really deeper than that it's fear of the unknown so darkness and unknown the unknown become kind of synonymous Mm. in the brain i think and synonymous throughout culture and fear of one is really fear of the other and if you and i believe that that fear of the unknown is the primal fear that kind of fuels all fear kind of underlies all fear so if you can Conquer uh, fear of the unknown, then you kind of destroy the root of all fear.
3: I, I I couldn't agree more, and it really is. It's 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 such a subtle thing, isn't it? Because it's so hidden deep inside our heart, our mind. It's in our perspective. It's in our. Um, our paradigms about life. It's in how we we treat each other. We just kind of keep pushing our fears on everyone else and and force them, I guess, to believe, for example, that a blind person shouldn't be able to ride a bicycle. But you blew that idea up.
7: <laughs> well, um, riding a bicycle or, or holding a job or uh, owning a home or raising one's own children, I mean, when it comes to blind people, the uh, beliefs, paradigms, and perspectives uh tend to become extremely restrictive uh throughout various cultures and societies
3: hmm. you know what 's interesting about you too, Daniel? You hold two master 's degrees in lifespan psychology um, it's you you've you 've thought this through right you 're not you're not just you don't. You're not just a, a guy with a one pony trick. You're a guy with a, a mission, a passion, a paradigm. And so, if you had to, if you had to summarize, what is your goal? What is your goal to with to teach us? What are you, What are you trying to do? You have world access for the blind. What is your goal?
7: Well, I guess I am first and foremost a teacher and a psychologist. But really, for me, it's not so much about teaching. It's more about uh... facilitating learning so i tend to believe that we all have a capacity to learn i don't have an agenda mm. per se to teach others what i what i hope for people is that that people can learn to be more open to their own learning um, more open to challenging everything that we think we know because what we think we know often becomes our greatest restriction uh... to what is really there to know and so i I, I'm a work in progress myself, yeah. um, by by every means. So, so if if we can all just sort of get over ourselves a bit and um, and realize that that there's so much more to know, that there's so much more to learn beyond what we think we know, and and then we can really step up to the real challenges that face us as people individually, and certainly as a as a
3: race. Yeah, you brought that up in your TED talk um that it's it's one thing to be blind and to not have eyes but what you say you do to overcome that is you just use your brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's 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 such a really powerfully simple thought. But then you basically said don't you all just use your brain to overcome your challenges?
7: Yes. Yeah. Right, right. So, so there's, there's a lot more sameness among people, I think, than there are differences. Yeah. And the brain is, is the center of everything. Uh, you, you can't do anything uh, or think anything or feel anything without your brain knowing about it first. You can't trick your brain. So if you, if you get in touch with your brain and you realize that your brain will adapt, one of its first and foremost functions is to adapt its conditions. Um, so when we present the brain a clear challenge, and one of the one of the things that helps is to is to kind of clarify that challenge to really recognize what that challenge is. If you present the brain a challenge, the brain is is bound to adapt to find a way to navigate that challenge.
3: And that's in every human.
7: I think it's in every creature. I do too. I think it's in every creature, and, and I'm all about creatures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but the human brain is clearly particularly well uh, adapted. I mean, if we think about the human in it, as its uh, place in nature, uh, humans are, are really quite deficient creatures in, in a sense. We, we don't have claws, we don't have tough hides, we don't have sharp teeth. We're not particularly strong, we're not particularly fast, we're not particularly robust. As creatures, and yet somehow, with all of these deficiencies, we managed to not only survive, but we managed to really thrive um, as, a, as a species. And it all has to do with, with our brain, and what our brain... Uh, how our brain allowed us to adapt.
3: And, and that's... Uh, it's an interesting um, idea. Do you, where do you think you began to take on this philosophy? Because you it, was it your parents? I mean, I know your yes. parents yes. never they they didn't let you they didn't baby so, you.
7: No, well, my parents um, didn't raise me in fear. My parents uh, somehow knew instinctively that uh, fear immobilizes us in the face of challenge, and blindness would be expected to present one with significant challenges. So if you if you have a challenge that you're going to have to face in life and yet you, uh, are, you have inculcated a sense of fear around that or doubt, um, then you're going to be uh, compromised in your ability to address that challenge. Yeah. So, so yes, my parents um, raised me without, without any sense of fear and without any sense of doubt. And without any sense of despair, my parents just really moved forward with uh, with this kind of gain philosophy, if you will. What is it that we have to gain? What is it that we have to achieve? What is it that we have to do? And what is it that we have to contribute to our surroundings and our our. Um, community
3: and society so is that is that one of the keys then to overcoming the fear i mean it's one thing i guess to recognize fear is can impede us especially you know when we're not as robust as other animals that just might fight or flight Um, fear though could and doubt could impede us how do we eliminate the fear how 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 do you just grab how, how do you start and we'll get into this after the break too about echolocation how do you be fearless enough to actually go mountain climbing and um and just do it by pure echolocation
7: i think for me well i, I had a bit of an advantage because um i mean if you're blind you're, you're not really presented with that much of a choice
1: yeah but, right
7: um but i think it i think in my case fear just kind of translates into discovery. So, for me, entering any new situation, whether it was walking onto a playground for the first time, or uh, learning my way around school, or <laughs> or starting a business, um, I think I think it was all about regarding the experience as a, as a puzzle or a new landscape um, to to learn about, to discover, to explore.
3: Huh. I mean, it really is. It was was kind of more natural to you.
7: It was natural to me, but it was certainly kind of conditioned and supported by my my parents. parents. If I had been raised by my dearly beloved grandma, um, (laughs) uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I had a grandma that told me I always had to wear my socks or I'd catch a cold.
7: Yes, of
3: course. So I I forget germ theory, but it was, uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, we're talking again with Daniel Kish, um, who truly is, uh, he's an inspiration, but not because of his blindness, but because of his fearlessness. And I think there's so much we have to learn about this fearlessness. We'll come back and continue our discussion with Daniel Kish. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. On the uh, phone with us is Daniel Kish and if uh, you want a really interesting um, 13 minutes go look up his TED Talk on ted.com. Daniel Kish has been blind since he was 13 months old and he's he's teaching us two or three things quite honestly probably a lot and he's not he doesn't he's not here to teach us. He just it's just a, I think it just comes from who he is but um he, he he's he's trying to be fearless and and not approach the world out of so much fear and we talk about that a lot on the show that fear just can can suck all of your opportunities, all of your growth, all of your learning away if you're too afraid to to put it out there. And so Daniel Kish is joining us. Daniel, welcome back to the show. Good to be back good to have you there was a really great article done um about you in men's journal where steve uh i guess michael finkel um came at, to your house in california he pulls up in a rental car gets out of the car you're near the curb i guess out on the stoop of the of your house and one of the first things you say to him is you're you're going to leave your car that far from the curb <laughs> and he apparently is like what how does this blind guy know that i'm parked about a foot and a half away from the curb so how did how did you know that
7: um well there were a variety of ways to know that but um a car is relatively easily echolocated so um one of the things that i developed as a result of of how i was raised uh was this sense of echolocation so I lost my second eye by the age of 13 months, and by all reports, I was uh, able to find my way around and, and know what was around me and navigate my surroundings by about 15 to 18 months, and I had begun clicking my tongue, and the clicking certainly provided me with information, but it wasn't something that was that blatantly obvious. Um, to those around me, so I mean even if I ask my mother's still alive, so even if I ask her when this occurred uh, she 's not really clear on mm. that because it was it was not a it was not a um, it, well, well it wasn 't a big deal uh, at the time, but it also wasn't this big obvious thing it was relatively subtle so um, and my my parents didn't have experience with other blind kids and they they didn't really um, have a lot of uh, professional counseling, probably for the best, yeah. uh, about blind kids. So for all they knew, this is just what blind kids did.
3: Yeah, you're just really. being and, normal.
7: Yeah, and so, so I wasn't raised with this sense of you're remarkable or you're amazing or look, look at what you can do kind of thing. It was, it was really much more relaxed and casual.
3: And you, you just you just adapted it. I guess you just did it naturally to you. Nobody was giving you attention for it, but you really just make a sound. You 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 send out a sound wave, a click, um, and you can then actually echolocate the the sound waves bouncing off of objects. You you've learned to discern and and see and be able to see basically.
7: Yeah, yeah. We we call it flash sonar. So the sound. Uh, takes the form of this of a flash, like a a brief, quick pulse um, of energy, and that energy goes out and reflects. So energy energy reflects. All energy will reflect from something, and uh, so sound reflects from physical surfaces. And when it returns, it returns with with patterns of information about those surfaces, and that's what the brain learns to extract and then it it codes that information and can construct uh images from that information wow
3: and again you you ride bicycles you go mountain climbing you and you don't the bicycle example would be great if all you did was you know ride a bicycle into the desert that's fantastic but but you ride a bicycle and there's a video of you riding a bicycle with a bunch of other cyclists around you
7: well there's 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 the mountain biking thing that we that we do that we like to do, and that's generally done in groups. And the, those groups will have sighted people among them okay. uh, to help um,
3: guide. Uh, I mean, or, or I guess it's a,
7: yeah, it's, it's it is a guiding. What it really is, is it's it's painting a picture of of where the trail actually goes. So so you have a sound source on the sighted person's bicycle, and then you, you kind of keep that sound source in mind as you're riding. Huh. So it's a combination of sound source tracking and uh, echolocation and, um, and responsiveness to your bike, because your bike is going to be giving you a lot of information about the trail on which you're riding. The other thing, though, is road biking, um, which is actually what I uh, started out doing as a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't that much into dirt biking, although I had a dirt bike but it was really about riding on the, on the streets. And so I, I learned to ride around the neighborhood and other neighborhoods. Um, and, you know, I, I rode to school and I rode to friends' houses. And we're not talking about huge, long-distance rides. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but we are talking about the ability to navigate um, uh, suburban uh, roads.
3: Well, and to have a normal life and a normalish childhood
7: yeah 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 by and large i mean I, I i participated in most of the normal typical activities and some that were perhaps atypical i i probably did a lot more tree climbing than my co yeah of the time
3: the, the the fearless blind guy climbing the tree <laughs> did your mom ever sit there and say okay daniel that's high enough
7: no, no, my mom never said that was high enough. My mom would probably, uh, if she felt it was high enough, she'd probably just look away and go do something else. <laughs>
3: that's great. Uh, that's great, because that, that helped you. That's interesting, because it now explains to me why creatures are matter so much to you. I mean, bats use echolocation, beluga whales, dolphins, and Daniel Kish. All of us do.
7: We all do, and we all challenges and we all have to eat and you know we all tend to to try to protect ourselves and our loved ones and we all try to propagate and we all have lives to live and I'm I'm vegan you know so I I take um, life uh, in all its forms quite seriously Um, so that's quite meaningful to me. With regard to this fearlessness, though, I just also want to make the point yeah. that, um, that there's a big difference between fearlessness and recklessness.
3: Yeah, careless, yeah.
7: Yeah, and I, I don't think I would regard myself as reckless, and I don't think I would regard my parents' parenting skills as, as reckless. In, in in their way, uh, they were really quite calculated. My, my mother is, is actually quite a calculated person. I mean, if you were to walk into, into her house, you'd, you'd see a spotless house that was very meticulously maintained. Um, so my mother is very clear about her, her philosophies about things, and she's able to articulate those. And so it wasn't just sort of this, you know, run-amuck run fancy freeness. What, what it really was about was being aware and taking stock of of what is around you and what you can do with, or how you can, um, how you can interact with what is around you.
1: Hmm.
7: So, so you know, there would come a point when I, when I understood that 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 you know that, that was high enough, right? You know, yeah. Or,
3: yeah.
7: or that was fast enough, or uh, whatever the situation was.
3: But it's beautiful because it allows you your learning, so instead of using fear we, to just constantly restrict, it's almost like your mother would more carefully, strategically allow you to explore and learn and find your boundaries and, and and kind of do it on your on your own.
7: Well, and that's that's the the seed of of the no limits philosophy that world access for the blind maintains is, we say no limits, but it's not that there are no limits, it's that uh, it's up to us to, to find, understand, and discover for ourselves what our limits are, mm. and to uh, be willing to explore those, to be willing to challenge those, but not to be willing to succumb to the imposition of limits or presumption of limits by others.
3: That's that is that that is the goal of world access for the blind. Again, we're talking with Daniel Kish, who uh, has been blind since he was 13 months old. Uh, he suffered a form of cancer called retinoblastoma, and they needed to basically take his eyes out in order to save him to protect him from the cancer. Um, but what's uh, what is an incredible? I think out cropping of this is the fact that fearlessness and limit, limitless uh, or or the, you know self defining our own limits has become has become really your message how is that received fr- in the blind community
7: it's received with controversy um, uh, there's we have obviously we have a lot of deep pockets of support so so we've we've been to over 40 countries wow. throughout the world providing services we go where we're invited. We stay where we're welcome. We don't tend to, to, to sell or convince or persuade. We're not, we're not people who try to push in unless we're asked to do it. If we're asked to advocate on behalf of the student, we certainly will, and we can do so very effectively. But, um, you know, our, our goal isn't to force anything upon people. So uh, within the blindness community and the blindness field, um, there is much controversy, uh, with regard to how much freedom and responsibility, uh, should a blind person, um, be allowed to have or expected to have, um, and how a blind person should be, should be taught how, what a blind person's relationship with the world, uh, should be. Mm. So, so, you know, there are, there are a lot of, of imposed or presumed shoulds and shouldn'ts around blindness, because blindness is still regarded as a a condition of deficiency. And whenever we encounter a, defi- a condition of defici- deficiency, we want to take control over that. And the result with regard to blindness is this kind of infantilization where uh, it is presumed that someone has to preside over or be an authority over or supervise, um... A blind person. Yeah, so it's it. We have a long, long way to go um, with regard to uh, society's regard to blindness. But we've also come a long way in fifty years. I mean, I'm I'm forty nine years old. So in my generation, I would have been one of the first blind people to have been schooled in a regular school, for example. Huh. So in those days, it is much more likely that I have been sent off somewhere to yeah, school for yeah. the blind, or, or you know. So, and now in the states, it's it's more or less routine for blind kids to attend regular school.
3: Well, there um, there is is there a hierarchy? It's interesting because it seems like what you're even saying is that there's an there's a there's a presumption that being sighted and seeing is better than than a blind person being blind, even though I look at you and I'm like, you're, you, you you're, you're, so much more capable just intellectually, emotionally, um, cognitively, uh, than most of us. Right.
7: There are, there are presumptions, I guess, that we make about, about who we are. I, I yeah. you know, it's, it's male versus female. It's, it's big versus small, yeah it's thin versus fat athletic
3: it's, versus band, yeah
7: right or, or you know or or white versus black yeah. or you know ethnicity I mean for some reason we seem to want to hierarchize yeah um, qualities and characteristics what, whatever they are so um with regard to sighted and, and blind its it's 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 the same thing and and so, um, it comes back down to attitude and perspective and expectation, and when you remove those isms from the, from the picture, from the phenomenon, then uh, you get a much more, I think, palatable result. You, yeah. you, you start to really see um, what is possible. You start to really see what can be done. I mean, if you... If you take a blind child and you keep him in the house all his life, as, as I have seen done, and you literally don't let him out because, uh, well, for any number of reasons, shame and, and concern and wh- whatever else your reasons might be, then you're going to get a person who is very confined uh, in their thinking as well as physically in the end. But, you know, if, if you take a, a, a different attitude – we call it a freedom first attitude so so freedom freedom we believe is a fundamental drive a drive to be free a drive to to establish our own relationship with our world um, on our own terms seems to be uh... the most fundamental drive to the development of just about every organism uh... that i know of or have encountered and the same is true with blind infants as much as sighted infants. Um, but if you address that freedom by restriction, as is so often done, um, both in the way we teach and also in the way we approach blind infants and blind children, and blind adults for that yeah. matter, um, if you, you, can't, you cannot foster freedom through restriction, um, and you cannot foster independence through dependency um, conditioning. And so we tend to think that, well, a blind person can have as much freedom as, as a blind person can have once a blind person has been properly prepared for that. And, of course, this preparation tends to come from sighted people who make the decision about what that preparation should entail. And then somehow in the end, there's this expectation that some um, predefined measure of freedom will result, and what what really results is just another uh layer of restrictions upon the individual yeah
3: and 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 outwardly imposed
7: outwardly imposed and inwardly inculcated
3: yeah exactly so, yeah yeah,
7: yeah. So manifest yeah we keep
3: see. manifesting it ourselves, but
7: we do yeah we do we do, and it's it's rampant throughout the blind population, but it's rampant throughout oh. pretty, much, pretty much any population It is you know
3: <laughs> that's why this is so brilliant i mean and and daniel it's funny because it it's this everything you're saying i sit there and i think yeah this is with my clients marriage issues and yes. i mean it's everything it really is everything we've got about a minute left will you just daniel just talk to kind of the everyday person that's dealing with their own fear and their own history of being you know uh conditioned into dependence what what well, what would you suggest they the do to get on
7: is is uh, I like to say that the greatest learning uh, happens when we challenge what we think we know so we have to really test our assumptions about things and and become really clear and really really conscious of what those are the other thing is um, what I often tell people is look at our routines our routines are are often manifestations of this uh, dependency conditioning that, that we all um, that we're all challenged by. And so I, I invite people to look at our routines and to change them, um, to, to, to target things to do differently. Mm. Um, and it can be something very simple, such as the way we take to work or what we wear or how we eat or our speech pattern or whatever. And to just make conscious effort to start changing those and when we start changing those, then we we can start to get more in touch with uh what this adaptation process really is
3: yeah and and we and learn and evolve and, le- and grow yes, and learn precisely that's beautiful, well, Daniel, we appreciate you, my friend, honestly, inspiring, and again, it's uh inspiring, I think for every human really to to be learning and growing. Um, echo is one thing, but just, you know, understanding the soul, the spirit, and being able to reach out, uh, you're powerful, Daniel. We are going to take a break, my friends. Come back, do a, a, just a little bit of a coach's corner, and just try to take it all in. Uh, you're listening to the Matt Townsend Show, trying to give you the tools to live a healthier, happier life right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow, uh, what a great interview with Daniel Kish. Um, Blind since 13 months of age, and now, uh, interestingly, talking more about fearless and and being a fearless person. Let me just uh, throw out a little advice. When you think about your blindness, where are you blind? In your life, uh, are you blind in your marriage? Are you blind in your relationships where Where do you just not have the eyes to see and um, I think we could all take a lot of uh, what Daniel teaches um, to heart and and probably to be able to do so much more in our world if we if we could start seeing and recognizing and testing our own assumptions. I had a chance to speak last night. To a group of probably, I don't know, 300, 400 youth, young uh, adults, 12, or young, youth from 12 to about 18 years of age, and a few of their parents. And the whole thing started off with a, a young woman speaking about her father who is suffering with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, it, was, it was the most incredible thing to see a, a young woman talk about the trial openly of her family and Lou Gehrig's disease, and how her dad has a breathing machine, and he um, he didn't normally need it when he went out of the home, but he needed it anyway. On the drive home, he couldn't breathe, his lungs collapsed, and she had to hurry home and get him on this machine, but um, how she was still able to go find peace after and through the process. Anyway, as, so as I'm listening to Daniel uh, talk, Daniel Kish talk, I'm sitting there thinking how easy it would be to have the trial of ALS and to just approach it with such fear and trepidation, knowing that your dad's going to die and have everyone in the family just so fearful that they're unable to actually learn and process and develop through it. And yet I have this incredible example of this family that's pushing through it. So whether it's blindness or whether it's ALS, or whether it's not even a physical disability or a physical challenge, it's just your your own self-esteem, your own sense of self-worth, your own dependence. Um, every one of us have blind spots. So I'm just going to challenge you as in the coach's corner. Will you take a second and go figure out you? Go figure out where you tend to not be able to progress. Where do you have the most fear? And... What are the you know what are the assumptions you have? What are the habits and the tendencies that you tend to push around that that tendency around that situation and that fear. And and let's just start taking the advice of Daniel Kish. Test your assumptions about it. Really can a blind person not ride a bicycle? Can a blind person not climb a mountain? Can a blind person not see A car because Daniel Kish would say he sees the car he just uses sonar so amazing how adaptive we are as human beings if we'll get out of the way and quit using our fear to keep us from learning interesting stuff folks we'll take a break this is the Matt Townsend show we'll have a whole new show after the break
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend.
3: Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. The show where we give you the tools to uh, live healthier and, you know, live a longer life. Today we, uh, <laughs> we're going to have a chance to teach you not just how to live longer but how to actually maybe figure out how to pay more attention. The attention span of the human adult is, is shrinking folks. Sadly we now are uh, we can't even keep up paces with a goldfish. We'll be talking with a, a guest about that a little bit later. Vito Polisi will be joining us. Uh, he is a writer, a technology um, a journalist. We'll be talking about an article he just did on our shrinking attention span. Also, later in the show, we're going to get a chance to go down and uh, talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. And I'm sure if we had the time to do it, we'd get into FIFA. We could. And, uh, you know. If more... not, listen to
5: the podcast. We did an entire segment on FIFA and the yeah. corruption. And, and CONCACLAF. And, and conca decaf. guy named Sap Bladder, another guy named yeah. Chuck
3: Blazer. Chuck Blazer. Who looks uh, like Santa Claus. Yeah. And one of them's a don. Uh, allegedly. <laughs> the don of the soccer world.
5: Anyway. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. The greatest quote of the day. The greatest quote of the day. Uh, da, 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 da. One member of the British Parliament told the BBC that nothing ever sticks to him. There's always something, someone between him and the bribes. The Guardian calls, this is the president of FIFA. The head of the, the International Soccer Association. He's the most successful non-homicidal dictator of the past century.
3: <laughs> You'd think he was like, you know, the leader of a third world country with well, a nuclear weapon.
5: They might be overstating that just a bit, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't follow international soccer. Is that, that over North like. Korea?
3: Nope. That's He's the guy over soccer. He runs soccer. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's. that's but he's non homicidal. He's so non homicidal. That's a plus for the and, game. But nothing sticks. But he's running for the, lead, the leadership. He's supposed to be elected this Friday or
5: something. That's what they feel. Yeah. I don't know who he's running against or what, uh, what their platforms well, we've are. We've got a lot of elections we're trying to keep track of here. Right. Absolutely. Rick Rick Santorum's in the race now. Rick Santorum's in. So there's seven in, there's six with exploratory
3: committees, and three are talking about it. But Rick had a lot of success. He was like, wasn't he just second to Mitt Romney in the last go around? He was. And he didn't have any money, and he just scrapped it up, and bada boom, bada bing. So once Rick starts throwing the punches, see what happens. Carly Fiorina, she's already out there punching from across the street apparently she just keeps showing up where hillary is it's brilliant move it really is because the press are there and they they want to know and, he'll, and carly just went and answered a million questions
5: this is getting do, exciting do, do what hillary won't do do questions. get out Cool. Any other headlines going on? Only 63% of Americans have saved any money for retirement within the past year, according to a Federal Reserve survey. Really? 63%? 63%. The survey of 5,800 Americans conducted last fall found that 31% of Americans have no retirement savings or pension plans. And among adults older than 45, almost 25% of respondents didn't have retirement savings at all. Ugh. Well, it's because they're probably expecting a really big inheritance. 38% of the people in the poll say they're going to work as long as possible. Yeah, you got it. That's their
3: plan. That's it. I mean, that's kind of what's happening is now you just got to keep working. Work until you can't work anymore. Yeah. It's like trying to cross a freeway. You just got to keep moving.
5: (laughs) It's Frogger, right? Yeah, it's Frogger. Don't stand still. Russian authorities plan to use prison labor to drive down the cost of hosting the 2018 World Cup. Oh, that's good. Uh, A lawmaker from uh, the United Russia Party proposed that prisoners be taken from their camps to labor in factories and preparations for the event. It'll help in the sense that there will be opportunity to acquire building materials for a lower price. Okay. Because prison labor will make the materials and then it's cheaper helping everyone out. And it says, and apart from it, it'll make possible to get prisoners to work, which is very positive. Wow,
3: yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, it's got to be better than just sitting in a prison cell. Get out and make some little FIFA soccer ball. Yeah. Well, souvenir. no, they, they'd,
5: they'd be making the building material to
3: build the stadiums. Go make some seats for the stadium. That's great. <laughs> so you see, know. Putin's he's very he's very creative. You know, I'm sure in other countries there's laws against using prisoners.
5: Now, we didn't talk about this, but Nevada yeah. officials on Monday said they will investigate the death of B.B. King as a possible homicide after two of the blues guitarist's daughters accused his aides of poisoning him. No way. Now, they've conducted an autopsy. and You know, he died of yeah. of conditions dealing with being old. Yeah. And now they're going to do it again to appease the family. Do another autopsy. I don't know the um, results of that. Probably haven't been released as of yet. But they they, they, they uh, claim some improprieties. There's some things that went on, and they feel that uh, some uh, some of the aids of their their father a- led uh, actions led to his death. So, there's a lot of that we'll going on letters. with
3: these stars. They, Yeah, I mean, that's just sad. Casey Kasem, do you remember that whole yes,
5: fiasco? That's it. a crazy story. Yeah. In light of recent released white paper that suggests that the post office get into the banking business, the banks are pushing back hard against the idea, which would involve the United States Postal Service using its outposts, its many different post offices, to offer a limited selection of banking services, while supporters of the idea, including Senator Elizabeth Warren, argued that the Postal Service could provide low-income customers an alternative to payday loans and check-cashing okay. businesses. Critics have pointed out that the post office has no experience in banking and is perceived by many as being incompetent in the responsibility they already have.
3: Yeah. They can't deliver the mail effectively. How are they going to be you know, a bank? Now, but then they sneak in the payday loan thing, and that actually makes a little sense, yes. except then you think that payday loan are a bunch of thieves... For a lot, I mean, that's the reputation they've got is and they're just gouging the the people. Do we really want the Postal Service yeah. handling that much money and potentially gouging? It's an idea. But what I guess the rule, the per, the reason they're even thinking it is because you have post offices in every location. Yeah. So the the infrastructure's already there. Maybe they well, train somebody else. Can I just I throw out another suggestion? Make it. McDonald's could be. They have ATMs. USPS <laughs> at Mickey D. Just crunch it all together. <laughs> if we're looking for if it's about location, I'd probably go with something a little easier than banking. Uh, it's an idea. Cinnabon.
1: Cinnabon. <laughs>
3: Uh,
5: Other news. Washington lawmakers are demanding an accounting of how many airport security badges have been lost or stolen around the country as NBC News investigates and reveals the problem to be bigger than originally thought. NBC Dallas affiliate reported in March. More than 1,400 badges, which allow employees to access secure areas like runways and boarding gates, went missing at Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport over approximately two years. So 1,400 badges, security badges, missing. A San Diego affiliate- In one, that's one airport, but one of the busiest airports in in the United States. NBC San Diego learned that more than 270 badges went missing at San Diego International Airport in the last two years. (laughs)
7: People- Remember your badges. <laughs> so,
5: that's crazy. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a big number. That's a big number. Now, they play it down saying that <laughs> the TSA said that many of the airports have extra layers of security, so workers need a code or a handprint to get into really sensitive areas, not just an ID badge.
3: Right, have any hands gone missing? I don't know. I Take a note. Uh, James? We'll look it up. Make a note. Uh, okay. See if any hands are missing at uh, Atlanta's airport. All right. right, Will do.
5: A uh, 19-year-old... Mason, New Jersey man, Madison, New Jersey man, okay. faces charges after police say he grew upset over someone taking the last piece of breakfast sausage out of his freezer. <laughs> Around 3.30 a.m. on May 12th, Madison police officers was dispatched to her after a report of a dispute at this home. After the police arrived, she learned they learned that Thomas Bacon, <laughs> the man's name, allegedly assaulted another person in the house after eating the breakfast sausage. Did you, did you... Did you eat my sausage? Relax, bacon, relax. So bacon was charged with simple assault, released pending on upcoming appearance in the court. So, so it was funny because the stories I was reading it at the bottom gave a clarification. Normally we wouldn't report on this story. Yeah. Simple domestic thing domestic, happened, to deal. Yeah. But Bacon was angry because sausage was gone, and that was the whole story. Tragic. It's tragic. You don't mess with bacon sausage. That's like... Someone took Thomas Bacon's breakfast sausage,
3: and he was mad. Did they find out who did it? It was someone in the house. I bet it was Mrs. Bacon. Could have been. (laughs) She's just trying to protect Mr. Bacon's heart. So you got to be careful. It's love. Interesting. That's the news we bring you. A lot of stations wouldn't air such news. But here, we want you to know about Bacon. All Things Bacon. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, apparently our attention span is shrinking, believe it or not, uh, down to about eight seconds, less than even a goldfish. And uh, we are going to be joined by Vito Polisi, who is uh, a technology journalist, wrote a wonderful article about it. We're going to pick his brain about uh, the latest research and find out what's going on with our attention span. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is official, my friends. We officially, uh, our attention span isn't quite what it used to be. We now have been surpassed by the goldfish for having a a better attention span. And we found a wonderful article that is going to explain this study put together. Uh, Microsoft originally did the study. But then uh, Vito Polici from Ottawa Citizen, uh, a journalist, a technology journalist, did a wonderful uh, article on your attention span and how it's, you know, it's not quite what it used to be. So we wanted Vito to come on and kind of walk us through the study and help us see if we can't uh, make some sense of it all. Uh, Vito Polici, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you for having me. You bet. Great to have you. And um, talk to me. Is it true we We can't even focus longer than a goldfish anymore
6: well let's let's keep in mind that um, goldfish don't seem to have these uh, wonderful fantastic uh, fin held devices that, that's uh, true, that's you true. Know, that, that they can use to tap into information all over the place. Uh, it may be a different story if they did, but uh, as things stand currently
3: it it appears to be the case. Can you imagine if a goldfish did have a phone? Would their, would their attention span be like halved? Would it be like four seconds?
6: I think that that's actually that's the point of all of this. Um, if, if you take a look, and, and really, if we think about everything that's been said about the human mind in the past, and we've, we've often heard how um, that humans are using less than 5% of their actual brain capacity, and now all of a sudden for the first time, like the fire hose with regards to information has been opened, and we have access to pretty much anything, anywhere, anytime, at the tip of our fingertips. Yeah. Right? You could be watching a football game, and during the commercial breaks, you're responding to email. Yeah, it's unheard of. Just even going back, even five, ten years.
3: Is is this why Microsoft are the ones behind the study? And I was trying to figure out why. They're doing attention studies and attention span studies, but it's really a technology-based study, and Microsoft wants the data.
6: Well, there's a bunch of fronts that Microsoft could use the data for, and and they do actually do an awful lot of work into everything from – you may not realize this, but they do an awful lot of work into everything from ergonomics because they're they're making keyboards and tablets and all sorts of stuff right through to stuff like this, where they're actually uh, scanning brainwaves. And it, it helps them on a number of fronts, first off, in order to understand how people are using technology today. But it also helps them uh, with regards to advertisers, Right, because it's Microsoft real. does does work with an awful lot of advertisers, and they would like to know how people are engaging with the technology, when they're engaging with it, and how to best provide their customers with, you know, placement and uh, and uh, get more interaction out of you. Well, yeah, so interruptions, a whole bunch yeah, of tons, right. Like they spend
3: billions on research annually. It's such an interesting thing. I mean, that's you know, we used to get our research not from the corporations, we used to get our research from academia, but sure, now, but right. now we have people with vested interests, organizations, corporations with a vested interest to get this information and then know how to use it. Walk us through the Microsoft study sure. and how they came up with the data and what what give us give us the facts. Sure, no that's fine.
6: Uh, Microsoft basically what they did is because this was a Canadian-based study it was done here in their Canadian research labs. They started with online surveys of 2000 Canadians where they were basically asking questions but they were distracting people (laughs) (laughs) as they were asking questions and then basically immediately said, were you distracted? Uh, How long did it take you to click on that? Uh, On top of that, they were tracking clicks and the times it took them to click and close windows and and interact with the other things that were going on on the screen that gave them a general indication of how easily the average user is, uh, is distracted. But then the really interesting part of the study, as far as I'm concerned, is when they took 112 people and brought them into a lab and hooked them up to EEGs oh, wow, to, yeah. in order to monitor brain activity. So then they could really see what was going on uh, <laughs> in, inside these people's minds as they were being put through various tasks and constantly distracted.
3: That right? is, that's got to be the scariest thing in the world. I mean, the last thing you want is like your wife to know this information.
6: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sure that uh, if she did, then I wouldn't have any more excuses. Right? Yeah, and, you'd
3: be in trouble.
6: But uh, it, it's it's interesting, and some people consider it scary. But but I don't I don't know about that, and I think it's just because of what what we spoke about. Um, and and you know I, I I took the study results back to somebody at the University of Western Ontario, which is a world-renowned institution, and they actually have a Brain and Mind Institute that does some pretty uh, groundbreaking work with regards to uh, to thinking and and brain patterns and models, and etc. And he wasn't surprised by it. Huh. And, and the reason he wasn't surprised by it is because he says, um, uh, no matter what we do, I mean, right now, my, my mind is being changed. I'm having a conversation with you right. that's going out over the Internet to who knows how many people online as yeah. well as through satellite. And, and all of those people, right now, their mind is being changed with regards to the way that they think and process data. And as a result, we, we have this, this sort of evolution of, of the human mind going on on a day-to-day basis. And then you introduce these handheld devices. So your mind, at one point in time, didn't have a choice, right? Right. It, it, it basically could only be fed as much data as you could take in. And when that was scroll and paper, then that was it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I had to
6: wait for the next, the next <laughs> scroll and paper, and your mind knew that. But now when you're sitting there and you're watching a TV show and there's a commercial, your mind is saying, it's switching off. It's saying, I'm bored, and I know that you have access to more information.
3: Yeah, grab the phone. Yeah.
6: Exactly. Go go see what's going on on Facebook. Go check your email. I need to know what's happening with regards to the sports score that we can't get because it's blacked out in this market. Interesting, yeah. And, and, And we're changing in such a way that you're craving more information.
3: We're, we're addicted time. to information, aren't we? We are
6: addicted to information. It's almost like a drug. It's not. A, I wouldn't say it's a bad drug. Yeah, <laughs> no. Some people who, who would argue that, but but uh, it's 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 basically your mind's way of staying productive during downtime.
3: Hmm. Yeah, and we and we have a capacity, apparently, to just keep pushing it. And I guess that's part of the problem. Is are we uh, are we? I mean, not everything we turn to for information is accurate or is, you know, essential to growth and development. So some of us might just be filling our heads with, it's it's kind of the old idea when your parents would say, are you playing video games again?
1: Right, right. And we've
3: done a lot of work and, and, and interviews on the show about video gaming and how it actually is, it facilitates creativity, it actually increases learning and other things. But we used to just think that was just a waste of time.
6: Well, and take a look at the jobs. I mean, not to say it's sidetracked, but take a look at the jobs in that industry. Sure. starting starting average salary in the video game industry is $65,000 a year. And that's (laughs) starting average salaries, right? Um, In in Canada, we have a booming industry. uh, And the fact these devices, to bring it back on topic, these devices are only opening that up further because the barrier to entry into that industry to get a job has become so low that anybody who can write an app that's appealing can instantly start making income. It's
3: true. No, uh, totally of true. Stuff. So
6: so as far as the creativity aspect goes, you're absolutely correct. But even on a monetary aspect and and, and just on a, um, if you're looking for guidance for your children, learning how to code is <laughs> something that uh-huh. be way up on Teaching
3: there. them to code, exactly.
6: List of priorities. I, this, this isn't something that's a problem. But to get back to your initial point, uh, I think you're absolutely correct in that, we're being deluged with so much information nowadays that people have the ability to pick and choose what it is that they want to hear, see, or, or otherwise on a minute-by-minute basis. Mm. And, and uh, tools out there, uh, whether it be RSS feeds or even Google News, give you the opportunity to tailor the information that's coming into you to such a point that if all you wanted to do was hear about Justin Bieber and uh, the Boston Celtics, then that's the only news that you're twenty four seven. To <laughs> right, right. Uh, whereas it used to be the case that people would watch the news or get a newspaper, uh, and this is obviously before digital came and, and turned on those filters. Right. and everything in there would be sort of a smorgasbord of everything that's going on that you probably should be aware of. Huh and as a result you'd have to take in all of that
3: that is that so the attention span shrinking is a direct probably a, they probably would never just say it's a direct correlation but it's there's probably some correlation to the increase in technology and just the increase in choices and options and um and 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 I guess uh just the addiction of it, just the... Yeah,
6: well, there's, there's so much going on that without filters, it would be
3: almost impossible to take it all in, right? It's so interesting. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break, because I want to sure. come back, Vito, and have you ex- explain some more about the data, because some of the findings were pretty interesting about where, where our attention is going and, and how, uh, how often, for example, someone has to check their phone, and some of that data was pretty foundational as well. We're talking again with Vito Polici, and he um, and he's, a, uh, he's a, a tech journalist who uh, is summarizing and helping us understand the research that came out of Microsoft about our attention span. He also, he's from the Ottawa Citizen up there and is uh, highly awarded as well, has earned a lot of excellence in science and technology reporting awards as well. He's the real deal, my friends. More with Vito Polisi when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us right now is uh, Vito Polisi. He is a reporter um, and a tech reporter, really. He's interviewed some incredible uh, leaders of tech companies like Bill Gates, Michael Dell, Steve Wozniak, just to name a few. He's uh, updating us on a study that was done by Microsoft, and then um, Vito put it together in an article entitled, Your Attention Span is Now Less than that of a goldfish, Microsoft says. That was uh, in the Ottawa Citizen. Um, and he, he's just trying to give us insight into it. It may not be as bad of news as it sounds. Is that true, Vito? I mean, it really is just a byproduct of the day and age and the technology.
6: I agree. And let's let's pick apart some of the numbers like uh, like we, yeah, we said it. we would. Um, one of the things that's interesting is in the year 2000, Uh, and these are stats that are coming out of the National Center for Biotechnology Information at the U.S. National Library of Medicine. So these are stats I'm not really going to argue with. Yeah, yeah, don't mess with them. (laughs) No, that's right. Uh, A human being's average attention span was 12 seconds. (laughs) So in the last 15 years, we've dropped by four seconds. Oh, man. So when we talk about how bad, and and the goldfish is nine seconds. So we weren't all that... (laughs) Me far further ahead yeah. than the goldfish was. Yeah,
3: we shouldn't be that proud.
6: That yet yeah, let's not be peacocks, you know, <laughs> in, in two thousand. But um, uh, if you start to pull apart the study, a couple of the numbers that jumped out at me was the fact that forty-four percent of the respondents said that they had to concentrate really, really hard in order to stay. On, to stay focused on an extended.
3: Oh, my heavens.
6: And 37% said that they were unable to make the best use of their time, which forces them to work late evenings and or weekends. So this is sort of one of those things where you're sitting at your desk at work during the day and your phone is pinging you because your friends are trying to put together the barbecue on the weekend. And as a result, you're losing an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or more. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Actual productivity and work time, which is forcing people to bring their work home with them.
3: Interesting.
6: So those, those,
3: those are, are huge.
6: Those are huge, and those were concerning. And obviously, uh, as we said, a byproduct of what's going on, because we're always plugged in.
3: And, and again, you're the tech guy. You've been studying this forever. I mean, this is only going, I'm assuming, maybe there's just a point where you just tapped out. I mean, maybe when our attention span is four seconds, we're just a bunch of zombies. Well,
6: you're already seeing how many people. I mean, let me just ask you, how many screens do you have in front of you right now?
3: Right now, I have. I only have one facing me and four facing away from me. Sure, okay. but that's well, why. But by, that's that's to my partner in crime here, Jimmy, and he's just a zombie. He looks anybody, like just a zombie that's drugged up.
6: A vast majority of people these days are up to two screens on the yeah. desk. Oh, totally. I have I have three a tablet and a, and a phone in front of me. So I, guess I didn't even think of my phone. Screens.
3: Yeah, so right. when you're up to f- phones and tablets, then you're really in trouble.
6: Then you're in. Yeah. So so we don't even realize the proliferation of this stuff around us and how it impacts our our day-to-day life, because of the fact that uh, work and personal life have become so intertwined, it's why we're actually seeing an awful lot of companies start to move away from that idea of 9-to-5, 9-to-5, 9-to-5. And they're going into things like flex time, and they're moving into things like free Fridays, because of the fact that they've got employees doing work. And especially in the tech sector, what we're seeing are... companies put more of an onus on productivity and getting things done as opposed to being at a desk for eight hours a day. Oh, yeah.
3: Well, you know, right. you also brought up in your article, and I think this is some information that came out of your uh, work with the University of Western Ontario's Brain and Mind Institute, about yes. the, it's not even just about um, technology interruptions, but we we now have entertainment in our cars. Right. We have all of these things that never even could exist as a paradigm 50 years ago you now need to have an ipad touch screen in your vehicle you can't get away from this stuff
6: no i mean and and i've i've said this before to people too but um if you even take a look at fast food restaurants you need to know how to operate a touch screen and and a computer really but That's let's right. stick with touch screen in order to take orders as a as an entry-level 14-year-old earning their you know minimum wage at their first job.
3: Did you hear what so, KFC did? KFC just tried <laughs> – I think it failed. It, <laughs> they just tried to have, um, like, keyboards that you could use and plug your phone into, and you could use a keyboard, and it was part of their tray at KFC because when people are eating their chicken, they don't want to touch their screens – and it's driving them crazy, so they can use the sticky, gross keyboards from KFC to access their technology.
6: Uh, that sounds like an idea that makes no sense it, and I,
3: <laughs> until people are throwing them away. And That's I think right. they were beta testing, and it just yeah. ended at beta. There's, there's all kinds of things wrong with that idea, that's they, including right.
6: the fact that the reason people have touchscreen phones is because they want to get away from the keyboard. Exactly. Uh, except for a very small percentage
3: that no, fits with BlackBerry. But yeah, but, yeah. Vito, when you got chicken on your fingers,
6: come And I, come I on. couldn't agree with you more. That's yet another one of the issues with that <laughs> that <laughs> paradigm.
3: That's where you just need to pull out a book.
6: That, there you go. Three. And then everyone will really look at you like you're strange. Like what is his deal? <laughs> yeah,
3: okay. and he's reading a book at KFC. And, and,
6: at, and at one point, the book was fantastic technology.
3: <laughs> Do you remember? Those were right? the days. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It really. And, and again, even that. I mean, there was a day I remember that when video games came out and computers were coming out, that the ability to go concentrate on a book was difficult. Right. So it's just this evolution. We've all, you know, we want we want the stimulation. We want We want it to come to us. We want our technology and our life to act on us.
6: Well, just think about it. I mean, I know here in Ottawa we have the National Arts Centre, and we've got uh, the National Arts Centre Orchestra, which is uh, a big deal in Canada at any rate. At any rate, they uh, hold concerts here where they will actually sync up live with uh, other symphonies in, um, I believe there's one in London, and I know there's another in Australia, and they will simultaneously play a symphony in those three uh, geographic locations for three separate audiences, but the audio feed comes through as one concert. Oh, wow. Using a two gigabit Ethernet connection. And, I mean, we talk about the technology and how fast it's advancing, but we're in this world that's incredibly connected. Yeah. And we have access to do things like what the NAC is doing, but also from a research standpoint. We've got researchers here in Ottawa, we have two... Uh, two of our big companies are Sienna and Avaya, and that may not their names may not mean anything to you, but if you do know who they are, they're the companies that make the Internet work. Every mm. time you connect to the Internet, it's all of their gear in the back end that's making that connection work. Yeah, they're running it. And, and they have uh, research labs all over the world, and what they end up doing is they'll have researchers here in Ottawa that will work their shift, hit a button, and all the research that they're working on goes to the next time zone, so they're continuously working on a 24-hour cycle. It'll go from Ottawa, to yeah. or it'll go from Europe to Ottawa to China, back to Europe, back to Ottawa, back to China. And, I mean, this is the world that we live in. It's accelerated to the nth degree. And, I mean, all of this stuff about our attention span is only accelerating because of the fact... That's right. ...that we can get all of this information at once, and your mind has been so starved for so long that it's finally getting fed at a pace that's acceptable and the faster we feed it the faster we're going to be able to think it's it's incredible to think of
3: well and you have to keep up or you're going to be roadkill right oh, on the information highway so of course. so it's ty- so this this really is it sounds like it's it's you know a quick evolution we're evolving. We're growing. Now, there's going to be consequences, and I'm sure we'll be paying for those for years. But um, but it's in the end, downside, right? there's always, always the downside. downside. Well, Vito, we appreciate you, my friend. Again, Vito Polici, and you need to go, go look him up. Um, he's got some great articles. In fact, Vito, I want to have you back. There's so many great topics that you've written about, and I just like picking your brain. It's fun to have somebody in the know. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, talk to our friends in Studio B, the guys from BYU Sports Nation. They're up next. Find out what's going to be coming up on their program at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back in a minute. Sunshine on my shoulder. Me happy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Sunshine.
3: A little John Denver for you. We like In to uh, set the cry. mood. We want the proper mood when we go down to Studio B and talk to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton, Brian really, you, Logan. You went
4: with John Denver?
3: <laughs> did, did you notice how it just totally changed the mood? <laughs> Yes, I did.
4: Should have went with uh,
3: some,
2: just, some, some Justin Bieber. I,
3: I know, but we we do that so much just simply because Spencer loves the Biebster.
2: He does I, love actually, the actually. Brian
4: a, Logan was the one that opened the show yesterday with his devout love statement for one Justin Bieber.
3: Is he a believer?
4: Oh, am. he is a believer plus. Brian, are I, you I really? Wow,
2: I am. I'm a fan. I'm you, definitely a fan. I, you know, I I like <laughs> Justin Bieber a lot more than Taylor Swift.
4: What are you what? a fan of uh, uh, when you look at Justin Bieber, Brian? That's what I want to know. What What are you a fan of?
2: Well, you know, obviously, I, I like his music. Um, and I, I like I like in his his earlier years how he was. Uh, <laughs> like his a, good, a good kid, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, he uh, kind of kept his nose clean. Went through. He kept, some, you know, some, some, kept his He went nose through clean? some issues these last few years. He's struggling. Right? It's, and, it's yeah, hard. he was struggling, and then he had a, the roast. You know, the, the roast was pretty funny. And that was his humbling experience saying that, hey, you know, I haven't acted uh, the way I should have uh, being a celebrity in the spotlight. I wasn't raised that way. You know, I'm a man of God and everybody makes mistakes. You know, I wasn't I, I'm, I'm, I'm growing into my own now. I'm more <laughs> mature. And this is kind of my apology. And, uh, wow. and then he went in and made a nice little single hit single, which I like as well. So do I you do want like, to sing any like of that, that. right?
3: Do you, want to, do you want to just sing a little bit of it? Um, just a no. little bit.
2: Mm-mm. I, you know, uh-uh. I'd have to sing you yeah, if I I'm not I I'm not
4: I am all about second chances and what and yeah. that's really cool that Justin Bieber did that. But when he shows up in Floyd Mayweather's camp, Brian,
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's a sports enthusiast.
4: What, man? Come on. Why Okay, You uh, is Floyd Mayweather a pristine example somebody that you would want to hang around with? If you're trying to clean up your image, are you hanging around Floyd Mayweather? Well, I mean, Floyd
2: definitely has a past. <laughs> you know, what? there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of people that have passed that are athletes or not athletes. Um, and he, he could I mean, hang as out long with as you're Vladimir the Putin. steps as long as you're making the steps to clean up your image. I think that I think that's all you can ask for in a human being. Nobody is perfect. Oh, wait, there was that one guy.
3: You guys,
4: there was there was that one there guy. There
2: was that one. Guy. This you're is right. there um, was that one man.
3: This I think I didn't know Brian knew this much about the Beebster.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh-huh.
3: This is cool.
2: I went and saw his movie. you know. I, but I you like him movie. more
4: than Taylor Swift. That's crazy. The music, yeah. yeah. <gasps> People are shocked. Okay, as a shocked. person, you like Taylor Swift more? I don't really know too much about Taylor Swift
2: except for the fact that she can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know about her.
3: Well, have you ever, have you ever seen Spencer dance?
2: Um I think on that the lip singing video. That boy can, can dance. dance. Spencer yeah, you know you can will. dance.
3: Hey Spencer, I got some <laughs> great news for you. Okay, bring it on. Um did you hear about the nineteen year old man who's been charged uh because he got in a fight over his breakfast? Uh nope, yeah. not. It's please true. enlighten me. Madison police officer uh Lisa Esposito was dispatched on a report of a dispute at a home. Where she found out that a guy named Thomas Bacon, bacon. Yeah. allegedly assaulted a person in his house for eating his breakfast sausage. Oh, my Leggo my ego, son! <laughs> so Bacon was charged with simple assault because somebody consumed his sausage. Who ate bacon sausage? Wow. See? Bacon. You guys get it?
4: I, I, do, I do, I do
3: get, get it. You That's get it. It's, his name's Bacon, <laughs> <laughs> and somebody ate the sausage.
4: We're with you there, man. We're anyway, with you. hey, hey, hey! Oh, I've got to ask you:
3: Warriors, Calves? Where are um, we going? Oh, where are we going? This is going to be cool. You
2: know what? I um, I'm from the Bay Area. Okay, uh, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm Enough a true said. sports fan. I'm not, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon. Kay. So um, I always grew up watching. Uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Uh, so just were just Bulls and, and Lakers fan, um, but I, I got a root for the Warriors because yeah. it's just it's just bay, Okay. You know, Take just your home. heart
4: out of it. Who you wins? Warriors. Um,
2: I think I think the Cavs win.
4: Okay. Oh, do you Here, really? Here's the thing: the Cavaliers play defense. The Cavaliers yeah. play defense, and so do the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors they play you yeah. Have been a very good defensive team all year and have. Probably the two best shooters in the game in Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry. But I think it goes seven games. Uh, and can you tell me who has home court advantage? Yes, Warriors. Then the I am Warriors. going with the Warriors, in, with seven, beep, Warriors. in seven beep, beep, beep. games.
3: And I think you know, the Warriors will spread it out. They're deep. They're deep.
4: Man, they've
2: got... Oh, they're
3: deep. I just think with LeBron... But then you got LeBron, I mean, you, you, dude. Obviously,
2: you have, it's LeBron, but you also have um, uh, LeBron... Kyrie. also a player that has had experience you know yeah. and and i mean this is his fifth straight uh finals he'll just so, will it to
3: happen he's got uh, he'll just take over
2: yeah and, th- and th- i think i think at the at the very end of the day experience really um uh makes the the biggest difference in fundamentally
4: BYU fans are obligated to root against the cavaliers because Matthew delivadova is on yes. the roster
3: we've all been delivadova i don't care
4: if you love lebron <laughs> or you love that's Kevin Love, right. even though he's hurting on the bench, I went and watched all those
3: videos. Okay, Yep. you're because right. Because
4: Matthew Dellavedova plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers, I feel <laughs> most of BYU Sports Nation will root against the Cavs. If you, you think care. I'm kidding, no. I'm not.
3: No, they're mad. <laughs> they're still mad. <laughs>
4: they, they. It is, is a, a fresh rule? wound, is that a rule? man. Like you can't. You just can't.
2: No, you can't, you can't do, do, it. do it.
3: No. Once you've been Dellavedoved. You never trust him again.
4: I just it it was a an absolute dagger. It dell of a dagger. Yes, that's right. R- straight to
3: the heart, man. You know, I'm am I'm, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> are you are you too? You are too, right, Spence? I can hear
4: I, I mean, I'm here's not. the thing: I was outside of the state when it happened, but I still felt the shockwave of that thing in <laughs> Southern California.
3: I think it was about a four point five <laughs> in California. In Utah, it was about a nine. On the Rick I'll have field. to
4: tell you about the first day that I went on the air in Palm Springs, Matt. We can do that another let's day.
3: Let's do it. Well, let's do it tomorrow. Okay. Um, hey, I got to. You guys, you're still doing your show, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's coming up at the top of the hour. Anything. Mm-hmm. What, are we, what are we talking about?
4: Really good stuff. BYU football was featured in an article by Pick Six Previews, which mm-hmm. is a college football insider magazine uh, publication. And there. They were listed four times in the top 25 best non-conference games of 2015. Four games. It just so happens all four of those games are in September. It's going to be a great BYU's first (laughs) four games are are in the top 25 non-conference showdowns.
3: Oh, they should have spread them out a little bit.
4: Okay, so we're talking to the author of that article today about what BYU can do, what kind of a national uh, splash they can make with that schedule and what would be considered a success. That's great. And then the other thing is, has BYU ever faced a September like this? I think that we're very quick with what's happening here and now to be like, oh, this is the toughest September they've ever faced, hands down, over. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, we have we have some very interesting and comparable notes. Tough, maybe tougher September's that BYU football has faced. Well,
2: I'm going to argue the opposite, though. Oh, really? Okay, I'm Brian gonna, just wants I'm to, gonna, argue gonna, to argue to argue. yeah, I just argue. I should I should have been a lawyer. Huh? I not You I still can be, Brian. Nope, I can't go to school anymore. I can't <laughs> You're do it. tired. Uh, I'm going to argue the that um, even though there are some other stats and numbers that uh, back up Spencer's point, I, I I have some pretty good points of my own. Okay, so uh, so it's,
4: it's going
3: to get it's going to get rough and tumble.
4: Well, I don't know if it's going to get rough and tumble. I think it's going to be. We you may go three rounds. This is going to be. This is going to be the uh, to the, the Warriors Pacquiao. against the
3: Rockets. Me being the Warriors and Brian being the Rockets. Oh, oh, is, oh, oh, oh I can hardly no wait. wait. This is going to be exciting. Yeah, he means
2: I, he means the games that the
3: Rockets won. It's going to go seven, no matter what, and then the Warriors will win by a. The Warriors are going to win by a last-second shot, and Brian's going to imitate LeBron. Okay,
4: yep, Matt, do me right. a favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the final few seconds we have here, yeah, you go look at how BYU football opened up the 1991 season with Ty Detmer as a senior quarterback. Okay, look at his first four games in what, 1991. What were they? That's what you need to look up. And that is what we will talk about on the show. 1991,
3: Ty Detmer. By yep. the way, my worst September ever was a grad student at BYU. So <laughs> if, that's, if we're talking worst Septembers at BYU or toughest Septembers, that, nice. that was the toughest. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> 1991 may have also been bad. Okay, okay I'm going to go look up Ty Detmer, 1991. And everybody else, just stick with us. Listen to the show. It's coming up. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Hey, no problem. No problem. Go little have a beer, a football. All right. Yeah, little, we've touched them all. Thanks, guys. Take care. Um, boy, that's going to be a good show. I'm going to go actually look up. I'm looking it up right now. Here's the deal. Uh, we always like to end the show with a hero, a hero story, right? And who better to to talk about a hero than a guy named Drew Lynch, 23 years old, stand-up comedian. And you may have seen Drew when he was on a show called America's Got Talent. But the story's pretty interesting. And it reminds me of our earlier guests when we were talking about um the fact that you've gotta be fearless, right? You gotta you gotta be fearless. Daniel Kish joined our eight o'clock hour. If you didn't hear it, you gotta go look it up and start podcasting the show. Just look up Matt Townsend on iTunes or tune in and find the Matt Townsend show. But Daniel Tish is a blind Man who's been blind since he was 13 years old, and he's just learned to kind of overcome fear and and instead use your – learn. Learn and use your brain is what he was teaching us. Use your brain in order to grow and to, uh, to learn how to overcome your, your obstacles. Well, our example today, Drew Lynch of our hero, he did the same thing. Drew Lynch always had the dream of moving to L.A. and becoming an actor, but an incident when he was 20 left that dream in dust – Uh, Drew was playing in a company softball game when a ground ball came up, hit him in the throat, causing a severe trauma to the throat, leaving him with a severe stutter. After months of therapy, his girlfriend encouraged him to use writing to help him deal with his emotions, which eventually morphed into stand-up comedy. And uh, Lynch auditioned eventually for America's Got Talent, performed a routine where he poked fun of his stuttering and made an entire audience laugh. By the end of his routine, everyone was on their feet, being touched and filled with emotion. Judge Howie Mandel pushed his golden buzzer, which immediately qualifies Lynch for the live show, and emotions were running high as Drew truly inspired everyone to turn their negative into a positive. Drew Lynch is our hero of the day. Again, just like another hero I want to make sure we focus on is the guest that we had earlier today, Daniel Kish. Folks, we all have our challenges. We just got to overcome them, not be so fearful, and use your brain. That was the biggest lesson today. Use our brains to overcome our fears. That's the show, my friends. Again, we'll be back tomorrow uh, for, uh, for more, more ideas, more tools to help you grow a healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care and be safe.